Hello and welcome to the 250. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And we're here discussing the top 250 movies of all time as voted for by IMDb users. We're picking a movie randomly each week. Gonna watch it, gonna break it down, gonna talk about it a little bit. So this week, Andrew, which movie did we pick? Inglorious Bastards. Yes. The, um, the recent version. Yes, as opposed to the movie which inspired it. Also the one with the incorrect spelling as well. That's how you distinguish it. That's, That's also why we're not beeping every mention of the title, because it's not technically a swear word. No, no, no. Nor is turd on its own. No, nor, nor is bastard, actually, to be fair. It's, it's, a, it's a technical description. But anyway, yeah. so, Andrew, had you seen Inglorious Bastards before? I had. I'd had the pleasure. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I think I watched it back when I lived in... in in Sligo, um, went went out to the movie with uh, with a friend of mine, and it was a lot of fun. It was actually I saw it in cinemas as well. I remember it came out around about Christmas, I think. I think this was around the time where Tarantino's films were coming out at Christmas. So he did this, he did Django Unchained at Christmas, and he did uh, The Hateful Eight at Christmas. So they're just wonderful sort of feel good films. They put <laughs> you in in touch with sort of the spirit of the season. I think S- still haven't seen either of those. To, really? To, yeah, to my great shame. Oh, okay, like, cool. What what right do I have to be on a, a film podcast? But Well, in fairness, the podcast thing was your idea. I suppose And so. the film thing was my idea. So we met halfway in the middle. Exactly. You're yeah. getting a behind-the-podcast bit here. That's true. It is. Um, also, to be honest, the reason that the films were released in December had nothing to do with Christmas and everything to do with the fact they were Oscar pushes. Ah. Um, this film obviously winning a whole host of Oscars, including one for its supporting actor, who uh, gets as much space and as much development as the leads Christoph Waltz. Oh, well, yeah. I, it's it's difficult to even think of him as a, as a supporting actor in this. the the The role is the supporting role, but it, it like just steals the film. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, when when Shoshana is sort of putting out big piles of film, you know, Christoph Waltz is just walking off in the background with a case all by himself. Yeah, and, and, and um, when the character that Christoph Waltz plays in this. Um, uh, Tarantino was concerned that he had written an uh, an, an unplayable part that that um, he couldn't possibly cast somebody who who who who could do this. Yeah, well, the original plan was to cast and, Leonardo and, DiCaprio, and he was actually right, but uh, uh, to in in a, in a small extent. But we'll get to that later. All right. So, in terms of so people who haven't seen the movie before, and I think what? very few people haven't seen the movie before. Inglorious Bastards is a Second World War film. I think they're made watch it in school now. I think now it's part of history. It's incorporated <laughs> into history. I think it's a very accurate... Uh, well, in fairness, it's no more or less accurate than Michael Collins is when it comes to portraying certain aspects of history as it did or did not occur. Um, take that sick burn, Neil Jordan. Anyway. I love that part in Michael Collins where they just like eviscerate... <laughs> Eamon uh, Devil Eamon Devil yeah. yeah. There might be a minor spoiler there. <laughs> um, spoiler for spoiler history. Spoiler for Michael Collins. Yeah, spoiler for history. <laughs> Anyway, it's a misdirect. A misdirect. It's Tarantino's uh, big Second World War film. He'd been wanting to do one for a while. A while. It's an exploitation film. It concerns uh, basically a number of overlapping plots, all of which come together um, in the screening of a German propaganda film in Paris, uh, at which point Adolf Hitler is attending and various actors, including a platoon of Jewish Americans um, and a Jewish survivor of a family brutally murdered in, in the opening scene, all conspire basically to bring down the Third Reich from the inside. Yeah, and um, I suppose what we won't give away is like how well that that plan goes or doesn't go. 
based yeah. on, on history. So without getting into the spoilers and without sort of delving into how it may or may not depart from the historical fact of the occasion, <laughs> uh, everybody is well aware of the Great Cinema Massacre of 1944. Andrew, is it worth watching? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, um, I, I suppose um, for maybe uh, we weak stomached uh, f- viewers or sorry, definitely for younger viewers um, to, to um, Andrew was joking about showing this as, as a way of explaining the second world war to, to children yeah yeah no, no, no, not, so, not, not such a good idea um, this, this is not a movie for kids or, or, or for the despite the fact that Brad Pitt plays a cartoon character does yes yeah yeah and um, play, uh, I think we were talking just before we started recording he plays the same character in Fury um, which is not worth not a good film no no no i i i, I didn't think so i i i, I thought um shia LaBeouf's character in that movie was only only shia LaBeouf. he was your only problem too well no there was a lot of problems with it um like like the um the the the woman's hands kind of hanging out of the rubble and they're like what have we wrought <laughs> um, <laughs> and and the moment where shia LaBeouf goes from kind of like shy sort of um um pacifist and it's like uh, yeah it's like kill this nazi and and then they'll like kind of have a laugh about it and they're yeah um it's and and then ha is it is it shia labeouf who has that moment or is it logan lerman i think it's shia labeouf okay yeah is it shia labeouf the weird guy inside the tank oh no wait yeah yeah you're quite right you're quite right sorry i'm i'm i'm I'm mixing that i'm I'm mixing that terrible movie that i'm never going to see again yeah you're you're mixing up the actors in that movie that you're mixing up with the film that we're actually talking about (laughs) yeah yeah um the movie we're talking about today is not fury although we will undoubtedly make several references to it over the course of the but fury not worth watching inglorious bastards very worth watching yes and i would i would wholeheartedly agree with that and i think a lot of because a Tarantino film, a lot of what's great about it is very particular and very sort of esoteric. So in that case, we're going to see very early in this particular podcast into a zone, Andrew. What zone are we going into? The spoiler zone. And welcome back to the spoiler zone. Uh, we're going to be talking about Inglorious Bastards here. So talking about the film completely uh, in great depth, not pulling any punches, uh, every plot point open. What did you like about it? What didn't you? Yeah, like? definitely watch the movie before. <laughs> yes, before you get here. Yeah. The ending is surprisingly for a World War Two film. The ending is a little comes out of nowhere, really. Yeah, it's it like, don't spoil a movie for me. Isn't it a history? Oh, not, not exactly. Yeah, it takes certain liberties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah, like more so than than Kelly's heroes <laughs> <laughs> or where eagles dare. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it actually reminds me a bit of um, what's the one where I mean. Uh, it, it, it, it, Sorry, sorry. What's the one where Michael Caine is it? Is that where Eagles Dare? The one where Michael Caine leads a bunch of SS commandos. Uh, oh no, him. that's um, is it? Pat? No, I was going to say Pat's to Glory. That's. Do we need to go to the fact machine? Mm-hmm. Uh, something to freedom. I feel like it's Escape to Glory, but let's go to the fact machine. It is. It is Michael Caine in The Eagle Has Landed. Not to be confused with where Eagles oh, Dare. Oh, I'm thinking of another movie then. You're thinking of what are you thinking of then? Um, uh, what what what did you look up? Michael Caine World War Two movies. Yes, and I got just about like it seems like Michael Caine's entire Cider House Rules. <laughs> <laughs> One does wonder is does that take place during World War Two? Oh, maybe there it is. There it is. Escape to victory. Escape to victory. All right, yeah. sorry, apologies. As opposed to the two-headed spy when lions roared. Um, 
It appears like Michael Caine's entire filmography consists of World War II films. I, w- I, w- I would argue with the characterization of the Cider House Rules as, as a... Um, as a World War II film. World War II film. All right. It, it is, yes. Google's, Google's film search algorithm may not be perfect yet. Yeah. But it reminds me, anyway, of the end of The Eagle Has Landed. Have you seen The Eagle Has Landed? At the time of World War II, a lot of people were in Germany trying to win freedom. We were doing the important work of abortions back in New England. So, have you seen The Eagle Has Landed? Um, no, no, I don't think I have. Oh, wait, wait. No, I, I, I, I may have seen bits and pieces of it a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very vague rec- uh, uh, uh, uh, uh, recollection of it. Okay, spoiler for a 40-year-old movie. Um, <laughs> it ends with, basically, so it's Michael Caine is set to lead a bunch of Germans into England to assassinate Winston Churchill. Um, and, and I bloody tried. I tried my bloody hardest. Um, and basically at the end, it, it leads to there's a siege, there's a combat sequence, they're locked in a church, Michael Caine escapes, and he finds his way to the manor where Churchill is staying, finds Churchill sitting out on the balcony, shoots him point blank in the head, and then gets shot himself. And then a bunch of people arrive and they're like, oh, thank goodness. Churchill? That... Yeah, he shoots Churchill in the head. And then a bunch of people arrive. Michael Caine does. Michael Caine, as a Nazi, shoots Churchill in the head. Ah. And, no, no, don't worry. And then, <laughs> and then at the end, Michael Caine plays a Nazi in that movie. Yes, of course, he's a convincing Nazi. He's so convincing. <laughs> like if you were a Nazi and you were sending somebody to infiltrate like World War Two Britain, you'd want somebody who sounds like Michael Caine. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, you get all the British to play Nazis, <laughs> and then get like those, Richard, those Richard Harris and Peter O'Toole to play the English people, yeah. and have them infiltrate. Because English people are unconvincing as, <laughs> as, as English people. As, as, yeah, as as the heroes of peace. Yes. But anyway, so he shoots Winston Churchill in the head. Uh, Churchill's guards arrive and shoot him. And then there's a weird little coda where uh, a bunch of British people, a bunch of like Churchill security staff are like, oh, thank God we didn't actually, we don't actually send Churchill on any of these speeches. And we've got all these body doubles wandering around. This could have been embarrassing. So very wow. much, I get the sense that uh, Tarantino sort of looked at the ending of Where Eagles Dare and was like, <laughs> I see that and I raise it. He certainly did. He certainly did. So the movie ends with a somewhat departure from the historical record. Yeah. Let, let's let's just go ahead. Go with it. Yeah. The the the, uh, this, the the film ends with um, this brilliant uh, scene, uh, and part of that is Adolf Hitler, who you might know from uh, history. From history, get, uh, getting his his body and his face blown up like like you swiss cheese you can't like with a machine this. gun you it's amazing you can't see this listening to the podcast but andrew is actually miming the action of machine gunning hitler in the face yeah yeah um like you've got a good recoil going on there um will we will we, will we do machine gun impressions <laughs> yes right hitler right in the face tweet tweet which one you think is the best yeah i feel like i could do better but i'm not going to but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's stunning. And I remember actually first seeing the film, that uh, that bit really sort of took me out of it. Because when you're watching the scene, you inevitably think Hitler's going to escape. You inevitably think there's no way. This mission is doomed to failure. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, when, when I, like, when I saw it, I was completely like, wow, this <laughs> movie is bonkers, crazy. And like, brilliant. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it was such, such a kind of a... Uh, uh, holy bastard <laughs> moment um yeah it, it was it was it was it was crazy and at the same time there's there's 
um, there's the um, the cinema is on fire and they're they're firing randomly into firing crowds into of the Germany crowd and, of Germans. Yeah. yeah, and they're like all of these people running and jumping over seats and just getting all of these. What bullet holes? Call? Yeah, yeah. What Getting you, lots of bullet holes. Yeah, what do you what do you what do you call squibs? those uh, squibs? Yeah, yeah. There's all these squibs just kind of like popping out of everybody. It like, is it is an amazing sort of scene, which will probably and, yeah yeah and and looking um, is it Eli Roth? With yes. The, yeah, yeah. Look, look staring look, down, looking at his face. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's just manic eyes. Yeah, wearing a uh, like wearing black tie. Sorry, white tie actually. He's even further than black tie. He's wearing a white tie while doing this. Mm. Which is which is remarkable. It's an amazing visual. He's sort of firing down into the crowd from a Fun, an opera booth. Fantastic uh, movie visually. Um, yeah. I, I suppose we'll we'll um, should we, will we what will we talk about first? I mean we've we've we talked about the ending. We've spoken about. Well, the we're going to talk. We're probably going to talk about the ending a bit more if, when we go into sort of stuff in a bit more depth. But yeah, the well, ending well, is why don't, why don't we uh, stick with the the scenes? I guess okay, that, we, yeah. that, that that we liked. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a Tarantino film, so it's structured in sort of chapters almost, which is something yeah. like like he did that with um, he did that with Pulp Fiction, for example, and he did it with even with Reservoir Dogs and stuff like that. Mm. You can see it's it's not even it's more than nonlinear. It's it's breaking down a story so that it is is very much like a book where you have a section of the film where something happens and then you take a break from that and you've got a section where something else happens. So, for example, the first scene is like eighteen minutes long. That's and right. It, it's yeah. remarkable, and the only I was worried I was writing too much notes in it. Because I, I was like, oh, okay, this is the first scene, but it's the first chapter of, of of of a four chapter uh, movie. Was it four? I think it might have been five. Oh, five, five, five. five chapters. Yeah, I do beg your pardon. No worries. Uh, um, there was the the one in the middle that everybody forgets with Michael Fassbender. Oh yes, um, yeah. So there's, um, I guess we'll list them. Yeah. Um, before, great titles, very Tarantino titles. Before we go into uh, into detail on them, we'll we'll just run them down. Uh, chapter one. Um, I don't think I, I wrote down the full thing. It was once upon a time in Nazi-occupied France. In Nazi-occupied France, the second chapter was Chapter Two, um, Inglorious Bastards. Of course, the title of the movie. Yeah. Chapter Three was, uh, I think, German Night in Paris. Is that correct? That is indeed. The fourth one was Operation Kino, and the fifth one was uh, Revenge of the Giant Face, which is a great title. Yes, uh, it is. In fact, they all kind of are. They're very sort of Tarantino-y uh, titles. But anyway, so jumping back to the first one, Once Upon a Time in Nazi-Occupied France, which is just yeah. an amazing scene. Fantastic. And I'd argue, like I'd argue in Glorious Bastards, we'll probably talk about this later on, but in terms of where it ranks in the Tarantino canon, it has some of Tarantino's best scenes. Um, like Absolutely. It has some of his most memorable visuals and some of his most memorable dialogue. Not dialogue, well, but... Uh, I suppose it is, it is difficult to look beyond um, Pulp Fiction. Like I guess the hipster's choice is Jackie Brown. Um, That's the contrarian one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the person who's like um, different if, for the if, sake of yeah, being different. Yeah, if there's two people arguing and they're and they're. Uh, did we oh, talk about this last yeah. week? Uh, um, With Woody Allen picks, was it? No, it was like um, Chaplin or or Buster <laughs> Keaton. <laughs> oh, I like Harry Lloyd. Yeah, um, yeah. It's always somebody who'll say Jackie Brown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would, that would be the, the the the kind of left field choice, but yeah, this is definitely up there. I would I would I would imagine that Pulp Fiction, given given the the very strong nineties bias in the in the oh in, it, it is the highest in, of the bunch yeah oh absolutely it is it is it's a top ten I'd film. say it's right up there yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a top ten film absolutely which so, I would perhaps disagree with that's for another podcast <laughs> so um, yeah it starts with a kind of seventies 
spaghetti western style music intro that i really like mm-hmm. not even not even just the music intro like the the setting is a little cottage in in top of a hill mm. with a man chopping wood out front it's very much it's like the introduction from the good the good the bad and the ugly remember the yeah. arrival of lee van cleef yeah who is uh spoiler the bad yeah um, <laughs> but it is it has that sort of and it has that nur coney vibe to it as you said as well absolutely and like it, it is inglorious bastards is very much it's a western uh, in terms of style and aesthetic if not in terms of content and so you have this really great scene where, yeah, guys chopping wood and then, uh, what's his name, La Petite? La yeah, Petite I think it's Miss, Monsieur La Petite, La Petite, is it? Yeah. Um, and um, his daughter spies this... Um, convoy. Uh, yeah, this convoy. There's those uh, fan- fantastic... Um, the, the, the Nazis were great at branding. <laughs> you, you always know there's like an important officer coming when they, they have that kind of um jetpack uh, volkswagen yeah thing. yeah with the top down yeah um they communicate it very effectively they just certainly do um, uh, and and and the the little uh, uh pinion motorbikes to go along with them yeah um it's like a little motorcade but a very sinister motorcade well they're having fun they are um but i mean yeah we'll probably talk about this in a little while because the glorious bass is all about the nazi branding and yeah and and then there's this kind of um this is like like uh, Denis Minichet. Um, I hope that didn't <laughs> horribly offend the actor in question, who is very good, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. This, this kind of like calm, steely um, moment where he uh, he tells his uh, his daughter to um, to go into the house um, and. Uh, to to do so calmly and he slowly kind of washes his face well it's, it's all done very well as well because it's done sort of in like an atmospheric sort of long long take as the cars are pulling off right so you see the cars in the distance and you don't really cut away on to them suddenly arriving you get to see the moment of anticipation as they're coming up so it's like okay go in the house absolutely I'll wash my face i'll put my poker face on basically and the, the, this is the introduction of un, undoubtedly the film's strongest character but he there there is it's it's a real um testament to to to the strength of of of uh denny uh minoche Men- i beg your pardon minoche's um acting and to to i guess his presence is maybe a better a better way to put it that he's not um overshadowed I, yeah. yeah in in in the scene where where we first meet um hans landa hans ss uber colonel is that the... that's correct I, I believe so yes yeah um so hans landa of the ss played by christoph waltz yes in a role that pretty much i think typecast him for the uh, foreseeable future um outside of maybe carnage and outside of i think django unchained um i think that waltz has been stuck playing like versions of this character pretty much or pale imitations of this character the affably evil villain so he did it in tarzan he did I, it in green hornet i don't yeah i i mean i don't think he'll be too obsessed he did it in horrible bosses uh, too about um being um typecast. was it uh, yeah uh, like in in in certain respects because like we we didn't really we weren't really familiar with him before this this this is something that i i, I was listening to bruce campbell uh, talk about where where he was saying that um struggling actors before they get any work they're just like oh if i was on television 
then I, w- I would I would show people what I'm really made of. And then as suddenly as they have a show, they're just like, can't wait to get off this stinking show. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're These people the same don't understand me. They're weekend like, weekend. they don't understand my talent. Yeah. Well, I understand me doing the same thing week in and week out is quite soul draining. Like yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas Bruce's um, has has a very kind of positive, sort of positive workman-like attitude to it. Welcome back to the Bruce Campbell <laughs> Appreciation Podcast. Sadly, there are not enough Bruce Campbell films in the top 250. Uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't think Bruce Campbell would argue with, uh, with, with, with, with us about, or with the IMDb. Um, about the, the perceived yeah, dearth of Bruce yeah. Campbell-related projects on here. Yeah, ju- ju- ju- judging by the way he feels about um, uh, uh, Congo, <laughs> for, for, for instance, um, Congo is a work of art. I, I like. Um, I I wonder if Evil Dead. Um, Evil if, Dead Two is probably on. Is here. probably yeah because of the amount of like fandom that that's attracted. Yeah, and to be honest, I think I think it, it's a very good film of itself. But anyway, th- welcome back <laughs> to the Evil Dead. <laughs> welcome <laughs> back to Inglorious Bastards, where we talk about everything but Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. One of the things that I do like about that opening scene is it sort of sets up this kind of this theme that runs through the film of performance. Yeah. So it's like, um, so when uh, Perrier Le Petit uh, goes and he washes his face, it's like he's putting on his poker face. It's like he's getting ready to do this thing that he's doing, this performance he's going to have to put on. And throughout the film, other there characters is... are constantly performing and they're constantly putting on shows and they're... Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah, we, um, we'll, uh, we, we, we, we'll we definitely see it, that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, um, and, and there's the whole um, ridiculousness of um, uh, Hans Landa's uh, kind of performance. He sets up this, <laughs> this intricate sort of bureau yeah. In in in in this man's um, cottage, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a point where he so completely takes over the cottage that Le Petit asks if he can ha- light a like to light a pipe. <laughs> and to which Landa points out, you know, this is your home. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is like, yes, you have my permission to do it. He set out like a blotter and a little inkwell. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and a little sort of form that he filled out as sort of like a census form. He's like, yep, yeah, tick tick. Yeah. Um, just so you know how completely. And there's a point where after Petit has his own pipe. Mm. Um, Landa goes, would you mind if I smoked? And he proceeds to whip out this gigantic <laughs> Sherlock Holmes style. That, that was, that was, that, that, that was one of the highlights of, of the movie for me. Also, um, in, in that scene, uh, he goes from speaking French to speaking English. Um, late- to speaking German as well. Does he speak German at one point during the scene? I, I, I, he also speaks Italian at the climax yeah, as well. He, he, like he does indeed. He, yeah. This this man is a genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, an evil genius. And it's tremendous. And each each reveal. Oh, well, I, like, I mean, obviously he he he's he's going to speak German. He's Hans yeah, Landa yeah. of the SS. <laughs> it would be but, really disappointing if yeah. he got through the interview phase. But, like, yeah. yeah. His his other because because at first it seems like kind of. When he speaks, when he speaks in English at first, we're like, "Oh yeah, of course." There's he's he's doing um, this for the audience. He's watching. doing this for the audience watching. But the, but there's a narrative reason for there it. There is actually, it's, which is very it's, clever. Yeah, it's so that he's not giving himself away to the uh, Jewish people hiding under the floor. The exactly. Dreyfus yeah, the the the, the Dreyfuses. One of those. Um, Shoshana. Shoshana um, manages to escape, and we'll see her uh, later in the movie. No, I mean we can we can probably talk about the the stuff later on. Like there there is some stuff there that I think 
becomes important, like how he talks about why he hates the Jews. Yeah. Uh, and his, argu- his argument basically amounts to, to nihilism. Not that you can ever justify racism or anti-Semitism with anything more than it, but his argument is along the lines of, we hate the Jews instinctively. I, I hate the Jews instinctively, and that's why we're doing what we're doing. But it, it, it, it seems more like one hates the Jews, not yeah. not I hate the Jews. Oh, yeah. what, what's what's what's what's very disturbing, and I feel like it's kind of the um, the point being made, uh, maybe in this scene, um, or with this character, is the um, mundane bureaucracy of, of of evil. Yeah, where where where this person is. Um, he's like, good at his job. He's, yeah, true. Throughout, he's yeah. like, well, I'm a very good detective, and. And yeah. who else would I work for? I, and I take great I'm pride in my nickname. Finding people and yeah. finding... I like yeah. the respect that I'm afforded. Yeah, he says at one point that he's very proud of, of, of the nickname that, uh, that he's earned. And precisely because he has earned it. Yeah. And then later in, in, in the movie, of course, says like... Oh, when it suits his purposes, he's like, I, you can no longer control... You can no more control yeah. the nicknames you're given than but, I am. But he's still very proud. He's yeah. saying, oh, well, I'm just a detective. And yeah. I'm, good I, at I'm, I'm very good at my job. Yeah. Um, well, there is, there is, there is that the sense that like his hatred is not rooted, not that you know it could be rooted in anything more reasonable or logical, but that it is, it's this sort of nihilistic sense of like he does it for no moral reason. Like, he yeah, has it's, no moral it's it's not. Yeah, it's it. amoral. Yeah, yeah. Right, um, rather rather rather, rather than immoral. Any, yeah, exactly. Uh, which is fascinating. And then there's there's also in there there is the when you mentioned the Jew hunter bit, mm. you get a nice bit of setup where he talks about. There's a repeated refrain throughout the film. Where characters ask other characters, "Have you heard about me? Do you know who I am? Do you know who this is?" Mm. And there's this idea of like building a mythology around around ideas and concepts, and it, it ties into this idea of film and propaganda, which we'll probably get to later. But I think I guess the only other thing I would I would add is the um, special effects with the with the machine guns oh, tearing with, up the floor with the floorboard. So it's like a confetti. Yeah. It's like a sort of a shredded wood confetti. Exactly. There, there's there's so much practical non CGI special effects. Um, in this movie that are really enjoyable like that where there's there must be so many kind of explosive charges and squibs and dummies and all of these sorts of things that, that you couldn't replicate with CGI yeah that, that and and that they're really enjoyable I'm sure I'm sure there was some digital kind of enhancement uh, or tweaking or brushing up yeah of yeah. certain things no it is like Tarantino is, is a is a director who genuinely loves film like I mean look at the distribution of The Hateful Eight which like where he took it on a, on a road show basically mm. and he had film he produced it on film that you could only see with a special projector and stuff like that so Tarantino is a big fan of that sort of look. And there are a number of sequences, like there are a number of points in the film where the camera looks directly down. The, the point where the Nazis shoot in the floor is one of those sequences. There's another sequence where after Shoshana sort of gets dressed up for, uh, for the premiere, the camera leaves the office with her and follows down the stairs. That draw attention to the idea that this is a set and like the lift, I, the, yeah, they, um, the roof I, had to be lifted off in order. I guess, to I guess to jumping ahead to that scene, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. That's, oh, well, that's yeah, we can get to the, the the gasoline scene. It is the gasoline yeah. scene, but the, like Tarantino is constantly reminding you that you are watching something on a set by positioning the camera in places where it could not be if it was a real place. So yeah. when when the Nazis are shooting the floor, you're looking from the ceiling, but you're looking from higher than the ceiling. Yeah. Like when they're having the conversation, when Landa and Petit are having the conversation, the camera pans down through the floorboards, yeah. which are obviously not there because it's a set. Yeah. And there's this constant reminder that everything you're seeing is artificial or unreal, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, sorry. So that, that was very, that was my sort of tangent there. No, no, no, no. It's an important tangent to have. So I, I guess on to chapter two, 
um, Inglorious Bastards. This is this is where we meet the, the eponymous characters. Yeah, which which is rather odd. I thought for a film called Inglorious Bastards, I thought the bastards themselves were quite secondary. Very. Um, and having said that, I I I imagine there was a lot um, that was perhaps left out. Yes, uh, that that, that was film, and and what tells me that is the casting i suppose yeah. of of the, the the bastards obviously there's brad pitt but what what what you have to uh, in there are comedians and improvisers yeah um so sam levine bj uh, novak and paul rust yeah. um and i don't think I don't, I don't think sam levine or um paul rust have have have any lines in this movie really yeah yeah, I suppose actually, yeah. And BJ Novak only has a handful of exchanges in the final act, actually. Mm. But uh, like, like that—that's. Um, uh, it's rather strange to think that the actor who got the most lines of the bastards is probably Eli Roth, the director. Yeah. Who is not the strongest of performers. No, no. I, I, I, I guess while, um, yeah, I, I, I suppose, I suppose I'll get, I'll, maybe we'll we'll get to that when we're talking about what we liked or didn't like, and um, but yeah, they, they basically did. This this this our introduction. There's a lot of fonts. <laughs> there are a lot of fonts in the film yeah. in general. But the the the um. Which again is Tarantino reminding you what you're watching is artificial. Well, what um, I really enjoyed was the introduction to Hugo Stiglitz. Which is interesting because it it suggested it it seems to me that when you're talking about like the other bastards being given very little to do, I suspect that there was a lot of material in there and backstories for each of them. Mm. Uh, but I suspect they were either cut out. Like at one stage, Tarantino. Tarantino started working on this in 1998, and he didn't get to, to film it until, what, 2011? Wow. Uh, yeah, and he constantly went back to constantly rise it. At one stage, he was thinking about expanding it out into a television miniseries, uh, which he's also talking about doing with Django as well. Okay. So I, I get the sense that, yeah, that, there, that the bit we see of Hugo Stiglitz, there was something similar for a couple more of the bastards, I suspect. But it is an amazing sequence. Yeah. Um, narrated by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, yeah, that's that's that's right. There, there's there, there's a lot of voice work by um, uh, famous people. Well, by Tarantino stalwarts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, later on in the movie, you'll hear Harvey Keitel. Yeah. But yeah, over you the go, phone. You go Stiglitz is the uh, German enlisted man yes. who basically goes on a roaring rampage where he kills his thirteen uh, Nazi SS commanders, uh, and we get quick cuts of various glimpses, um, which are like really personal kills as well. It's not like he was just serving in the army and turned a machine gun on them. No. No, this is straight up terrorism. Yeah. Um, terrorism yeah. slash serial killing. With a big knife. With a very big knife and a pillow um, and his fist down one of their throats and all this. Oh, stuff. it was amazing. Yeah. And, and I, I, like that, I, um, we, we, we were talking about kind of practical effects and that. I'm, sh I'm sure the person who... <laughs> On the receiving who, end yeah, of this. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't have thanked Quentin Tarantino for, I suppose he wouldn't be the only person who who um, involved who in this film? Involved in this film? Who wouldn't thank uh, Tarantino, Tarantino for the close-ups that were used? Yeah. Um, but yeah, here's the thing. Actually, so when we get to sort of Stiglitz, and I think this is one of the things that's interesting for me about this, and probably we'll get we'll talk about it a bit later. But like, there's this recurring sense throughout the film, like morally speaking, um, I think that the stock criticism of Tarantino is that he's amoral or he's nihilistic. I don't yeah. see that at all. I don't think that's fair at all. And I think that the Hugo Stiglitz sequence sort of sets up an idea that comes into play later in the film, which is this idea of like passively enabling Nazism or believing 
like that they were just doing their jobs or accepting that this is the this is like a patriotic duty uh, is in some is morally wrong and morally reprehensible of itself and that Stiglitz represents like a stereotypical good German he's he's a morally clean character because he actively resists as opposed to passively yeah. allowing his disgusts um, at, at the regime yeah and and his his his righteous anger kind of contrasts with um, Landa's Landa's kind of yeah just um, oh I, I might as well get on with it yeah um, um, <laughs> whichever way I'm facing at the moment depends on which way the wind is blowing really. yeah yeah um, which is I think because I think like we'll probably talk about it a bit more but like Tarantino does get a lot of criticism I think it's primarily down to the violence that he uses because the violence is extreme oh like, there's, some extreme. there's a sequence in this bit where like they chop their because Aldo Reigns I yeah. love that Eldo Reigns makes his men promise to deliver 100 Nazi scalps, and boy, do they deliver. Um, we get lots of close-ups of people scalping Nazis. I really enjoyed the scalping. Um, well, it, it's a great practical special effect. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it is There's very... something kind of satisfying. About <laughs> scalping a Nazi. <laughs> just scalping in general. Like... Okay, this is a bit extreme. Yeah, yeah. If... if um... Uh, maybe, maybe, any, any, anyone who's ever enjoyed popping a pimple <laughs> <laughs> just sees this as a more extreme version of that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like for those hard to reach pimples. <laughs> it's like just take a knife to the scalp. Yeah, maybe I'm damaged. <laughs> a little bit dark. You were laughing at some in a, some oddly inappropriate moments during the film. Um, but the scalping is a, I think, a nod to Aldo Rain's Apache heritage, which is one of the interesting aspects of the film. I think. Because when you see Aldo Reigns when he first appears, he's played by uh, Brad Pitt and he's played as a cartoon character. Like, there are points where I'm not sure his eyes are physically open. Mm. Like, it, it's it's very much like a squinty sort of caricature almost, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, like there were, there were very strong choices yeah. in this. Um, okay. And I, I, I really, like, we talk a lot about about Christoph Waltz, but Brad Pitt's fantastic in this. He is. Apparently, he, ex- he wanted an Oscar nomination, or he expected an Oscar nomination for this. Well, there, there isn't really the same subtlety. No. In, no, it's in, not. In, uh, like, at all. Um, but it, it's it's just so enjoyable. It really and the, I've, I felt... When, when, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I felt kind of bad for Sam Levine. <laughs> <laughs> he was... In in and I'm sorry I'm sorry to to to Sam Levine because I quite like Sam Levine but he's he's he's in a scene where he's sort of looking out the window at the um, at the uh, bar uh, uh, across the road fighting in a basement isn't yeah it? yeah where where they're talking about fighting in the basement Brad Pitt sort of like um, looking every now and then and also talk talking to Michael Fassbender's character who we haven't gotten to yet yeah. I do beg your no, pardon no no don't worry but um, it, it, it, the, the, the extent to which Sam Levine isn't Brad Pitt <laughs> in that scene is just very unfair to, to have the two kind of like next to each other because there, there's something very kind of like natural about Brad Pitt as an actor yeah. Um, and and you look at Sam Levine, and it's very clear that he's a, a kind of like um, maybe feeling uncomfortable, <laughs> um, and tr- trying to kind of look like somebody who's fitting who's, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the the, the, the act, casual acting. The, the casting in this is very curious when you think it's like a crack squad of, <laughs> of Jewish commandos behind enemy <laughs> yeah, lines yeah, as well. Yeah, behind yeah. enemy lines. You think that maybe like... some of them speaking German would be a good idea? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, who's the best we've got? 
Well, there's uh, there's there's this there's this very short. <laughs> there's a very <laughs> short guy. We call him the little man. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, there's a guy who really likes baseball. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's there's uh, there's this very skinny guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their, their commander seems to have some unorthodox thinking about scalping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, like it's yeah. It's it, they they just kind of like picked up the the Jewish phone book. <laughs> like pick the first five names or something. I don't know. But here's here's the thing, right? So when we get, we're, so we're talking about Eldo Reigns and Brad Pitt and his approach and stuff like that, one of the things that I really like about the films, and it's never it's never explicitly mentioned, uh, but when he's giving this speech, it's very obvious that he has a scar across his neck. That's a fantastic pep talk, by the way. It is a fantastic pep talk. It, it's a wonder that it, most of the trailer that we listened to last week was basically edits of that, uh, yeah. that pep talk. Um, and again, it's Brad Pitt is is phenomenal. It's a it's a great pep talk to to pepper into a trailer and which with with lots of dun, dun, dun, dun, and, dun, and dun. visuals yeah and, and lots of like violence and action. I want one hundred Nazi scalps. Dun, dun, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you are to show them <laughs> the the that the thing we said about Hugo Stiglitz and and the kind of um, like um, so exploitation his, intro sort of thing is it. Yeah, but no, but like uh, about about his um, unambiguous um, rejection of the Nazis. Yeah, yeah, where where like um, uh, that comes across. I guess it's it's where where where with Hugo Stiglitz characters, it's it's kind of um, it's just sort of like um, demonstrated without any words. Um, the it's it's elucidated clearly in in in in the pep talk that Brad Pitt gives. He yeah. says like, they uh, these Nazis they don't deserve compassion. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're not deserve. Yeah, we're we're not going to show them that we're uh, better. better than them or more compassionate than them by a moral perspective. Yeah, yeah, we're we're we're going to give them um, what's what they're due to receive. Yeah, uh, which is is interesting. I think that that becomes sort of an idea that Tarantino plays with. With revenge and something which, which which is a kind of like a, a I mean I know it's a it's a fantasy but it's also dangerous kind of in terms of thinking about stuff that actually happened in in in World War Two like the firebombing of Dresden and all and of Hiroshima that. and and and, and and and Hiroshima which which which a, a, a lot of um, people looking back argued that um, oh but uh, Hiroshima ended the war no not true they the the only condition that the Japanese had given was that they um, would have uh, their their emperor following, and and uh, the Americans right? insisted on an unconditional surrender, um, but they actually gave in to that condition anyway. There's an ex- a Smithsonian exhibit in 1995 that generated a considerable amount of controversy for daring to suggest that Hiroshima and Nagasaki were unnecessary, and that the civilian casualties that they entailed were perhaps immoral. Mm. Um, and it was just completely shut down. There's there's a massive refusal to to talk, sort of talk about that. The um, the the Oliver Stone um, untold uh, history of America was fairly good in this. Right. Well, you know that apparently um, Japan doesn't necessarily want an apology for it, which is one of the interesting uh, political uh, realities. Apparently, Obama it was muted at one point that Obama would perhaps uh, mention it or acknowledge. Mm. Uh, some responsibility for it, but apparently the Japanese prime minister felt that it would empower certain far right uh, movements within the country. Okay, it's an interesting sort of political snafu. Welcome to the Darren and Andrew Talk <laughs> Politics Podcast. 
Yeah, I, I, I, I know there was there was a an, an apology made for the um, internment of Japanese people. There was eventually, yeah. yes, uh, which was a very shameful bit of Second World War history as well. well I think, I think <laughs> back back to the movie. Yeah, Sorry, well, uh, I beg no, your no, pardon. I, I I just threw that in there after we were finished talking about it. No, but I, I think that's a very valid sort of point, and I think it's something the film touches on a little bit, right? There, I, I think that like we were talking about how he has a scar across his neck. That's quite clearly a lynching scar mm. like that's a scar that you get when somebody's tried to hang you he talks about being part apache he's aldo the apache like uh which is a representation again of the sort of prejudice that he feels within america there's a point where whether in the tavern uh drinking and the nazi ss uber commander or whatever his name is um has a card in his head saying king kong and he's talking about how he was taken from the jungles forcibly to america for somebody else to profit in a boat by chains is he the story of the Negro in America? Mm. Um, which is, again, which becomes something that Tarantino is very interested in in both Django and Hateful Eight. It's, so yeah, it's, I think there's a strong, there is a strong moral thread to it. I think Tarantino's not letting America off the hook or anything like that, but he is, he is basically saying, you know. Well, the, the, it's, um, uh, it's definitely a Tarantino trope uh, to talk about um, African-Americans. Um, and not necessarily, um, or to talk about uh, black people in general, yeah. um, in in in his movies. Um, I don't know if we want to if we want to go on, on a little sort of tal- can, a can of worm. tangent about about that, and in general, just the the kind of Tarantino tropes in this movie. We can well, let's go on a tangent yeah. about it. Let's go. So, on yeah, the the because the, um, the um, when when it comes to speaking about black people. Um, there, there is that uh, when, when um, uh, it's, it's, it's that game where, where you have to identify these uh, celebrities' name that's on your with head. a card on your head, yeah. and you get to ask questions and you get exactly. responses back. There's, there's, there's also um, when Hans Landa is talking about the black projectionists um, in the in in the in third the chapter. Um, it's a German night in Paris. Where they're discussing, as as as we said in the intro, there's going to be a showing of this movie. Was it Nation's Pride or something? A Nation's Pride. Uh, Daniel Brühl's character um, is in it. Sorry, we're we're we're, we're jumping all over. We're place. jumping all over the place. But, but basically, um, in in that theater, there's a black projectionist, and Hans Landa's comment is, I suppose, I suppose it's quite a good profession uh, for for for for somebody of it. Um, uh, for somebody who's black, which which which is which is um, it seems like a very kind of Tarantino thing to throw in um, that uh, that joke um, and have it have it come out of Hans Landa's mouth. I don't know. See, this is the thing. I think when you talk about Tarantino and that, you're talking like obviously he, he when lo- he, first... he he lo- um, some some people complain yeah. that that that he loves to discuss black lives in america and and and that it's a a, a kind of an obsession of his and appropriations i think ex- exactly well, yeah that, yeah that's and, a slightly and, argument about that and with, with, his, with his use of the n-word yeah. and yeah which I, I think is a fair criticism of his early work so stuff like say uh reservoir dogs and stuff like pulp fiction most notably and stuff like even jackie brown or whatever where there is that sort of sense of like appropriation so what he there's a sense that Tarantino does get a vicarious thrill of being able to do stuff like that. Yeah, he c- certainly has a um, an an, ob- an obsession and a love 
a fondness for uh, uh, black culture yeah. in in America. Yeah, and I think though, I think that in recent years, and uh, you sort of, if you, and we were talking, we were talking earlier about how you draw a line between like what came before Jackie Brown, what comes after Jackie Brown. Mm. But um, with the films that come after Jackie Brown, his more stylized work, like Inglorious Bastards, like Django, like The Hateful Eight, I think Tarantino is more pointedly aware of the politics of what he's doing. Yeah. I think he's more careful in, say, the use of the N-word, for example, um, and stuff like that than he was before, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I think that... I, I would say... Um, like not, not, in... not careful, maybe more intentional. Yes. Okay, like no, he's, he's certainly not aiming to be uh, politically correct or, or to, yeah. not, to not offend, not offend anyone. anyone. Yeah. But he's it's... offending to a, to a more overt purpose, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, like there's a, there's a great line in The Hateful Eight where like... Um, and it's, it's what makes it one of the films of the year is where... You know, Samuel Jackson explains the only time that black people are safe is when white people are disarmed, um, which is, you know, in the context of the conversation he's having is a reference to sort of disarming somebody with polite conversation. But yeah. in the context of where we are at the moment with Tarantino marching with Black Lives Matters, yeah. um, it, it's a very pointed comment. And I think that you can sort of see the seeds of that in, in this film, mm. um, in, in stuff like that. Like that is... That is the use of blackness as something that is, is not just a culture that he appropriates. And it's maybe making a, a comment about Hans Landa's character. Because we spoke uh, earlier um, about him being a... Amoral rather than immoral. Yeah, and, be, and being kind of a regular kind of... He, he's, not, he's not a fanatic, as becomes clear in, in, in, in, in, in the final part where, where he decides to defect. Um... But um, the this this idea of, of, of casual racism, yeah, as in like he's he's he's quite clear he quite clearly doesn't have any great conviction in um, His the attitude. Third Reich, yeah, uh, but he isn't. Um, he also clearly thinks of Jews and uh, black people he's still, as subhuman. Yeah, he's still well. Uh, he's still capable of that casual racism where he makes that sort of. Uh, offhand, offhand sort of um, comment, Al almost like he's he's he's he's ashamed to kind of say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, and and in terms of so in terms of introducing the bastards, is there anything else? Like the sequence is the sequence is great where they they have him, they have they capture a Nazi or they ambush a Nazi platoon. There are three survivors, um, and they want the the commander basically to point out the uh, location on the map. At which point they introduce the bear Jew. Yeah, I, I, I didn't feel. Um, I felt that was a huge um, anticlimax. I, I, th I thought the the interesting bastard in that scene was was Hugo Stieglitz. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I think like we're all waiting to see the uh, this character, the bear Jew, come out, and then when when he does, it's it's Eli Roth. I've, yeah, it's Eli Roth, and it's like oh, it's a big deal. I, I felt like it was kind of. Um, a a disappointment, an anticlimax. I felt like it was uh, Quentin Tarantino and Eli Roth just giving each other a big hug. Yeah, it's like this is going to be great. You're going to come out and you're going to be like you're going to be the hero. hero. People yeah, are going to yeah, be talking yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know who was originally meant to be the bear Jew, right? No, tell me. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler was supposed to be the bear Jew. He had to drop out to film. I can't remember what he had something to tremendous. I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> Something worthy of the respect that that sort of was done. I think it was uh, Judd Apatow's Funny People. Oh, I hate that movie. Yeah, it's very indulgent. 
I, I actually don't mind the first half hour of it, but yeah, after that, it's pretty terrible. But uh, yeah, well, that was originally meant to be. The I, I, although, although I do like Eric Bana in almost everything. Yes, I feel like Eric Bana hasn't got like the chance that he deserves to have. I think. Mm. But um, in terms of the bear do, I think though that's kind of part of the point. Like I think that was a bum note for me. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I thought that like I thought the point was that you build up this idea in this mythology, and it turns out, oh my god, it's just Eli Roth, and he's terrible. <sighs> he is like Eli Roth. Cannot necessarily cannot act. No, not really. I, I, I, I would I argue mean, he cannot direct either, I, but we won't get into that. <laughs> I did. I did think Sorry, he was. Eli. I. I did. Well, no. I, I mean, we're we're allowed to have our opinion. I. I. I, I did. I did think, um, as I say, that his manic eyes in the final scene were fantastic. <laughs> Shooting down yeah, the crowd. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the, that that particular scene. But but I thought there was like two ways to go with that. Okay. Either either, um, either you make him this mensch like like hugo stiglitz's character where he's this like ball of pure focused energy absolutely are you make him um this um ridiculous scrawny character like say a paul russ or a sam levine you're just like really if, pissed if, that sam levine didn't get more to do in this no, yeah well, a little bit like because because because that's my point is like either either you make it um, one extreme or the or, or, or the other, because like either of those are sort of satisfying. Yeah. Where you where you where you, where you, where you, where you have this huge kind of uh, slugger comes yeah. out, or you have this the joke. The joke being exactly that, yeah, that he's not the myth yeah, at all. But it's neither of those things. It's Eli Roth, and for like for for for me, I was kind of like, who cares? Yeah. I A little suppose. bit. I suppose. So yeah, chapter three, German night in Paris. Oh, sorry. Actually, one thing we didn't mention in chapter two, so it's, to waste even more time, is our introduction to Hitler. That's Adolf Hitler. <laughs> yeah, just in case nine, you were thinking nine, it was David nine, Hitler. Nine, yeah. Nine. Yeah. And again, you have this sense of the difference between the mythology and the man. Like he's it's very handy that there aren't that many people called Hitler in the world. Yeah, that you could get confused about it. Um, but no, it is. It's very much he's introduced. They're doing a portrait of him on the wall and stuff at the same time. He's wearing a cape. Oh, it's um, amazing. But it, it's this, again, it's this big discussion of like the mythology and the propaganda and the myth that develops. And so this idea that like Hitler is really just this sulking teenage boy. But no, it, it was, it was, it was amazing. It really and, was. It, and, and it was a real kind of tickler as well. And I think that that's, that's an appropriate kind of way to portray Hitler. Exactly. Like, like the, um, um, a lot of, a lot of the kind of, fetishization i guess of um in in this day and age of with, sort of nazi imagery and, and like well, when, well yeah when when when what i was thinking is that when when when there is um mass uh, shootings or when when there is an act of terrorism um there there's often this complaint that um there's too much of a focus on, on the perpetrators, yeah, on, on the perpetrator rather than the victims. What I, what I, what I actually find there's not enough of is the kind of um, ridiculing, ta- ridiculing, like like take take take the Armando Iannucci uh, f- uh, f- film um, uh, Three Lions. Three Lions, yes, there we go. Which is great, actually. You should, Absolutely, it's, but it's on the list. Anyway. And and and and I think that that's a very good way about. Because, like, to to to say to say that you're just going to ignore the perpetrators of of of, of these actions completely is adds an air of mystery around. Yeah, it and almost seems like a ridiculous approach to take. Yeah. 
but when when when when when you look at them through through the eyes of um actually this is a kind of pathetic human being uh, yeah exactly yeah. which which which which is which is what happens here with with, with hitler yeah, yeah where he's introduced having a he's, tantrum basically. yeah yeah he's throwing his toys out of the pram yeah but it, this sort of gets to something there's something else as well this introduced the idea of like aldo reigns um like carving swastikas into the skulls of into the heads of the nazi survivors that he needs a sort of a, a branding of them right mm. which is, is one of the things that I, I like about the film we were talking about like tarantino's moral compass there's this recurring sense in there that if you were once a Nazi, you are always a Nazi and that you deserve to be branded as such, you know, that you can't simply go off and hang up the uniform and pretend to be something else afterwards. And it was it was a big problem in Germany post the war, yeah. which which which is why um, as as as good a job by by the denazification uh, of Germany. Yeah, they, they, they, they, they, there, there was a, a dearth of um, of suitable uh, candidates, which is why, which is why, perhaps Conrad Adenauer was was was the the, the, the Chancellor of Germany. I mean, I mean, did uh, did a fine job by by a lot of standards. But the only reason I suppose he was he was still left around after the war was because he was so, as the mayor of Cologne, he was he I think he was deemed even though even though he he didn't um, join in with the Nazis, he he was he was judged too old. Yeah. To to to to be to be to be deemed a a, a threat. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, that that's one of the things, and I think it comes up with. Um, and again, you haven't seen Django, and you haven't seen um, The Hateful Eight, but one of these things, the recurring fascinations for Tarantino and his modern work, like in The Hateful Eight, is set in the wake of the Civil War in America, mm. which did not have a process similar to the denazification of Germany, as ineffective as that might have been. The reconstruction of the Civil War largely left the South the way it was. So it could still hang the Confederate flag. Yeah. It could still count itself as the rebel self and stuff. And the Hateful Eight makes the point that if you leave that stuff around, if you let people take off the uniform when the war's over, you're just going to end up with this legacy of hatred and anger and violence. And that you shouldn't necessarily be able to just throw it in at the end. I suppose it's an interesting balance that was struck after the Second World War because people had learned... The lessons of, of past conflict, though. yeah, of of Versailles, where yeah. where where where they, they you had went too far, crippled Germany. Yeah. What they what they did is they, um, yeah, and and I suppose what what didn't happen in, um, I suppose it's the opposite maybe of of of what happened in the Civil War, um, was was um, was maybe what happened in in um, post Nazi Germany, where in um, there was a denazification. But a an effort to um, integrate, yeah, and and and to to to to make amends and to make things better for this post um, Third Reich Germany. Yeah. Whereas the it, it was it was it was the opposite, I suppose, in in in post Civil War. Well, to to to an extent that there are gre- uh, yeah. huge grievances, is that the whole um, culture of of of inequality wasn't um done away with and there nor nor was there really a great um effort to to to make the lives um better better which is, is an interesting sort of thing and I, again we're, we're going off on political tangents here we are a little but bit. i do find this fascinating with say the debate around uh trumpism right 
at this stage, and this is going to date the podcast. We really, horribly. by the way, need need to need to get in guests who have some sort of specialities <laughs> in these fields, rather than just talking in general. <laughs> but like the idea of what happens to his base at the end, and what happens, how we talk about them, and whether or not we should label them as like as the people who believe in what he believes as racists and misogynists, or if we mm. should pretend and stick to the fiction that there are people who have been left behind or people who you know are basically decent and have only one way of expressing themselves and i think that there's a sense of that righteous anger in say to bring us back to the film in inglorious bastards in the way that aldo reigns insists that if you were a nazi you are always a nazi mm. in that you carry that with you after you did this this expression of hatred that you put out this thing that you participated in cannot be forgotten yeah, uh, and your passive compliance with it is something immoral and something that deserves reckoning and acknowledgement. Yeah, I think that's a very strong moral statement from a director who is and not it's, always. It's yeah, and it's damning of of of, of pretty much a whole nation because, as we say, there are, there are, there are, there are, there are very very few Hugo Stiglitzes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, and very very many. Um, uh, well, maybe not Hans Landers, but yeah, the, that, that, that sort of like we live in the world, the world is dust. Yeah. So moving on to chapter three, I think. Yeah. This the German Night in Paris. Yeah. Did we, did we did we agree that that was the name of it? It was. It is. Yeah. It is German Night in Paris. Um, so we we meet um, Shoshana Dreyfus. Well, we we met Shoshana Dreyfus before, but this is this is four years later. Yeah. She's now a a um, a young beautiful woman. Yeah. We we then meet by, by Melanie Laurent, who is amazing. Yeah, she she's fantastic in this, and yeah. and and uh, especially in a certain scene, uh, which, which we'll get to in exactly. I think chapter five. Possibly. Yeah. So we also meet Frederick Soller, um, who, who are is Daniel Bruhl. Who's Daniel Bruhl? Bruhl? I, I quite I quite liked him, and I think that was the that point. was intentional. Yeah. And I think there is a point here being made, and it's an interesting. I guess other aspect of uh, Quentin Tarantino's maybe political or social conscience, where I I feel like this was a um, a feminist theme. Um, in oh it. yes, yes, yeah. that definitely comes up later this, on. This this idea of the nice guy. nice guy, the nice Nazi, but the nice guy. Yeah, where where basically it's it's a. A guy who seems seems lovely and is being seems harmless is yeah, the thing. Seems he's repeatedly and, presented as harmless and is is is is being told to go uh, away to go away. But as as is often represented in in romantic Hollywood, uh, yeah, and in in mainstream culture and and and not not you'll even basic masculinity. So like, yeah, yeah, there there there'll often be. Um, in real life, romantic stories, um, especially from, I guess, our parents' generation, but still, this idea of like if a woman says no, she simply needs persuading. Yeah, I did, like persistence like is the a key. yeah a, a a a groom kind of at the front table making the speech, and she didn't want to have anything to do with me for many years. Yeah, um, and I kept asking her to dance, and she said no. Yeah, I kept I kept inviting her out, and she said no. And eventually, I talked to her boss and her father, and they conspired with me. And to set us up. The idea as well is is is is that Melanie Lawrence character is um is is basically um being a I'm trying to trying to trying trying trying to think of the um a, a, a, um 
something other than a B word. Unreasonable. Yeah, yeah. That that that that that she's oh um or uh, prudent or not prudent. Yeah, yeah. The kind of um confrontational. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, and again, these are all like horribly misogynistic insults that exactly. people use. Which yeah, is like yeah. you say stuck up or you say stuck up yeah. exactly. Yeah. That um and we're we're we're we're kind of conditioned to think like oh why doesn't she give some that time to that yeah, a nice yeah. Guy. sure sure he's in a nazi uniform but, but he's, it, he's flirty and he smiles and he knows culture and yeah yeah they they, they would be so guys. cute together they really would um, um but it is because he he's introduced his, and he, he at one point she says will you stop pestering me um, yeah and you're and the way that that's portrayed it's not as if like and keep in mind that there's a huge power imbalance like in well, first of all, in patriarchal society in general, but yeah. in terms of in Nazi-occupied France, mm. there's a huge power imbalance between like she doesn't know he's a war hero, but he's still yeah. a guy in Nazi uniform, and she's and still the, yeah a I, civilian. I wonder if if if the point being made um, like that's that that imbalance between men and women in general is, is along those lines. Yeah, is it like that's that's a way of getting it across in in in a much more um, clear way is having um, having the guy in a Nazi one is a uniform. Nazi and yeah. one is is, is a, a Jew survivor in, of in, a horrible in occupied Nazi. France yeah. Um, so yeah I thought that was really interesting and really clever and it builds to something which we'll probably talk about when we get to the fifth chapter which I think it Absolutely. pays off what where, where, well. where that kind of where, entitlement where, yeah where we get to see the um, true colour of Frederick Zoller yeah, yeah. so yeah the, the, we also learn uh, that Frederick Zoller is um, a celebrity. Yes, and a super sniper. He's a, he's in, a war in a, hero. In a, in a world where this is an alternate universe where Hitler could be killed in a cinema, but this yeah. is also an alternate universe where apparently mortar shells don't exist. No, yeah, he, he killed like 300 people from a bell tower. Over beg- three days. Over three days, which begs the question, it's like, how, how many how- bell towers... Uh, where they're in that town and that could um, possibly have been hiding snipers and, and why not blow all of them up <laughs> yes <laughs> or even <laughs> one at a time until before before you're all dead <laughs> yeah. yeah um and yeah in in in in a town there's so much nooks <laughs> um, surely surely you could you could fire some sort of explosive uh, without staring directly at him in the time it would yeah. take him to reload because i don't think s- uh, snipers are much good at taking on tanks <laughs> Say a far, if, far, if Fury taught us nothing, Andrew. <laughs> no, no. Well, well, if Fury taught us anything, it's, it's that it's one that. tank can hold back an entire regiment of German, <laughs> German advancing. Terrible forces. movie. Uh, I didn't think it was that bad, but it's not a good film. No, and and there's they they they use the same trick that the Star Wars movies do in in the the d- different colors for um for whether you're a uh, good guy or a, a bad guy. good guy or a bad guy the, the the the nazis i think have like all of the the, in history, the, the Nazis also made sure to code themselves <laughs> well, black no, no, and grey. But, like, but the, the munitions fire in the nighttime has different colours. Oh, like like, Fury, like they're it? having a lightsaber duel. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I want to see Andrew's cut of Fury where he plays like Jewel of the Fates. I want to see Mace Windu come in <laughs> and, and, and ask if he can have a, part, a purple, a purple machi- gun, yeah. machine gun. Yeah. All right, a but purple <laughs> tank. Back to the Inglorious Bastards <laughs> podcast for a moment. Yes. So, um, yeah, that, that's, um, then, uh, he continues to pass her, um, because persistence is cute. Yeah. Yeah. He, she is carted off against her will by they, two guys in uniforms with skulls on the caps. Yeah. Which, which, which, and, and this is kind of representing that it's not just, 
that that there's this one guy uh, flaunting it, yeah. his his his his patriarchy. It's uh, it's and within the context message. of a society. Yeah. Well, um, and I mean, I mean, there's a nice scene where uh, the SS commander opens the door and he says, "You'll come with us, please." Yeah. A- and you're like, yes, she has the option <laughs> of saying no. Clearly, <laughs> in this situation where the two guys with skulls on their caps are inviting her to go with her with them. Yeah. And you're like, and you have that sort of consent imbalance and that power imbalance. But anyway, so she's taken to a restaurant. She's taken to a restaurant where she meets Joseph Goebbels. Yeah. Um, there's there's a little bit there. He he has this uh, French interpreter, and there, there's there, there's this moment where it shows like a sex scene where it cuts. It's it's basically it's Shoshana basically. I think it's Shoshana looking at the translator and basically this is what she sees. Yeah, which which which I didn't I didn't really care for. I I was like I I was thinking like. What point has been made there is is it, it's not it's not just that she's a collaborator. It's it's almost like that um, Shoshana is looking at her and thinking slut was was was was was was what I got out of it. And it, it kind of whether whether whether that was the intention. And I guess if I'm being kind, I, I, I would uh, maybe assume it wasn't. Um, but. That, that's what it kind of it, it struck that bum note for me um and i i, yeah, I didn't I mean, much care for it to be honest and this is so this is where sort of the, the stuff and we're going to veer out into and ar was just sorry um ar was just a a, a gr- gratuitous um a, excuse to have like a, a momentary sex season, season. yeah which, sex, which is very because i mean that's exactly the season, season. <laughs> this is the season of the sex <laughs> um yes because every movie needs more global sex scenes <laughs> And I mean, I think you do raise some valid points because I mean, one of the interesting things about like historically speaking, France and collaborators and stuff like that is that a lot of the collaborators that were shamed after the fall of Vichy France and after the end of Nazi-occupied France were women uh, who were regarded to have slept or spent time with uh, German men. Generally speaking, the actual people who did collaborate, so the people who provided aid and shelter and, and home and hearth, which were the men, uh, they were not punished, but the women were publicly dragged out their heads were shaved, they were beaten, yeah. they were whipped, all this sort of stuff. And there was a really uncomfortable misogynistic strain on there's, there's kind of slut shaming and also victim blaming because yeah. because they're They they're, couldn't say no. Like I mean, yeah. could you say no to a Nazi no. officer? And no. and it, and it's this it's it's this troublesome thing as well of holding up um Shoshana's character as this kind of um saucy, impetulant woman um do do we doing so in an environment where it's very dangerous to do so and keep in mind that that she's trying to um be under the radar and and she's um being maybe least receptive to to it's this idea of like well if i was there at the crucifixion i would have got up and i would have pulled the nails out of Um, out of the cross yeah whereas like like it's another kind of it's very kind of black and white. There is no sympathy. Well, this is your Hugo what, Stiglitz sort of moment. Exactly. There's no sympathy whatsoever for for for for the victims who who who weren't able to resist this this this horrible tragedy or this occupation. Yeah. And if if you weren't if you weren't fighting the Nazis, to, you were helping to, them. And yeah, you were culpable. But Be, beside the fact of like people had families and they had like people want to live. Yeah, people want people they care for to live as well exactly i mean and i think when you talk about like the gratuitous nature of the sex scene like there's a shot right next to that scene that makes the point quite clear which is where the camera pulls back and it's goebbels sitting next to the french translator sitting next to the french translator's poodle 
Yes. And I think that, that underscores how Shoshana sees uh, the translator, I think, much more effectively than... I really enjoyed the dog. Yeah. I, I, I, I could have <laughs> done with like loads more, more dog. And, and, and less global less sex. Dogging. Yes, yeah. less, less. Um, But yeah, so no, so she's taken there, she's asked and she's interrogated. Um, Goebbels has to leave the converse, has to leave the conversation early. But um, he subs in... Hans Lambda. Yes, who insists that she must try the strudel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but, but not yet. Yeah. Ooh, a tonde a la creme. A tonde la creme. Yeah. A tonde la creme. Uh, he's having he's so, so much fun. Well, here's like, the thing. Like, it's it's it's like in the in the first scene where it's just like just playing with the food. Your delicious milk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can tell I'm evil because I'm I'm like a hedonist for dairy products. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a thing where he orders her a glass of milk as well, and you have this. Tarantino does this thing, and it happened. He does it several times on the film, where the tension just builds despite the fact that there's no violence coming. It's yeah, it's it's actually something that that that's, and it's it's very much an aesthetic thing for me, and it it doesn't represent how good or bad this <laughs> this this this movie is, but but but but it's. I think I've I think I've spoken about this before. Oh, this weird tension. I don't like to cringe. Yes. I don't mind tension. I just don't like to kind of to to cringe. A lot of the deaths in this movie were just kind of like uh, it. It's like people really like The Office. People also like Breaking Bad, yeah. where people are making wrong choices and <laughs> and suffering kind of consequences. consequences. Of them. Yeah, um, and where where where where you just kind of like um, can't can't stand uh, watching them continue yeah, to yeah. make these knowing that they will pay the repercussions yeah. later well, on like tension and like i think i've said a few times i yeah. don't i don't mind tension okay what i what, what i like is when tension is compelling okay uh, but tension can can can also be um can be the opposite can be kind of like um i want this to end rather than kind of i want to know what's going <laughs> to happen, to happen. Yeah. Exactly. So, which which tension was this, and how did you feel towards it? It was the cringy kind. I, <laughs> uh, well, no, no, sorry, that that um, that that particular scene not so much because I enjoyed it um, a lot because of of of Hans Landa, yeah. and and I suppose in like throughout there there there there are all of these. It's it's impossible not to for me anyway not to enjoy this movie. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not like. I like, I like to laugh. I also like to cry. Um, I like the when, full range when, of the human experience. Yeah, but it, it's the it's the it's the uh, uh, it's the tense cringe that that that that that is, that is something. Like as it. I say, it's um, that's just me. Okay. It's it's it's it's purely my taste. And and um, but yeah, there the um, it is fantastic, and they do play with it. A little bit. Like so, the bit where he orders milk for her, and you're like, "Does absolutely. he recognize her? Is that is that milk in a, a reference to when they first met?" And we never actually find out whether he does yeah, uh, know who she is or not, because he pretty much figures out most people. Yeah, um, he's a very good detective. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's this fun. I mean, it's it's certainly implied that that he knows who she is, yeah. but at no point does he ever really Anybody set, set out to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, the scene, well, there's two things happen uh, at the end of the scene. 
he's he's he kind of has this clumbo moment. Yeah, where, where he's like, like uh, "There's one more I have question." One I'm like, more question I would like to ask. And this and it's a great Tarantino I, scene because the camera it, focuses on their faces. Yeah, yeah, and it's like the music is kind of heightening, and it's like, but I, I I just can't for the moment think of what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can't for the life of me remember. <laughs> I can't for the life of me remember. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, silly me." Yeah, goofy. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. It is amazing. It is. It, it, yeah. It, and, and, and, then, and then and then he's like, okay. And, and, and, and he <laughs> Enjoy put, your strudel. Put, puts out a cigarette and a strudel, which which which I do have a problem with. <laughs> Just as a strudel lover <laughs> yeah. and a smoker. Well, I I cannot abide food waste. This will probably <laughs> come across in a lot of um, like, podcasts. Yeah, but. Um, the, yeah, and don't I, worry, this isn't our example of inappropriate smoking yet. <laughs> no, well, yeah, actually, yeah, that, I this suppose... semi-inappropriate smoking. Yeah, so, uh, w- w- is it food waste, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, Recurring uh, themes of the 250 podcast. Yeah, we... Um, then then he gets up, leaves leaves the table, yes, and um, she she's like... Ah. Oh, well, God. she looks over her shoulder to make sure that he's gone and that yeah. there's no one else coming. And it's then, an amazing... Yeah. Like, it's and, and that's the kind of effect I guess that it's supposed to have uh, for the you, audience yeah. as well, where you, where you're like just kind of like waiting to breathe. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there is like there's the wonderful scene where Landa first shows up and he puts his hand on her shoulder, and the camera as they're having the conversation, like the camera doesn't pan up to like Zoller and Landa and Goebbels talking. They converse, and the camera just focuses on uh, Shoshana's face, and it's just wonderfully intense. Like I I, I think like it's really well constructed. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and again, Melanie Laurent, brilliant. Fantastic. All right. So, um, so yeah, w- w- um, we'll, shall we, do we want to move on to chapter, chapter four? four? Yes. <laughs> Operation Kino. Operation Kino. Sadly, not Blow Up the Basket. It's not called Blow Up the Basket. <laughs> we're, we're introduced to Michael Fassbender. Um, Who plays a film critic turned war spy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is um, well. Here's the thing that, that he's actually he may be based on a real, real person. Tarantino no, no, has no. A, I, I, I, I, I, I had no problem with really of the film that jump turn. at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. given the film in, that it's in, like in given this, the scenes in this of the film, movie. Yeah. yeah. But he is he's apparently maybe based on Paul Den, who went on to write the Planet of the Apes movies. Okay. Which is pretty great CV. He was a film critic. He became a war hero, and then he wrote the Planet of the Apes series. Yeah, I, I think at the time there was like the officer class uh, of World War Two were like uh, um, a lot of the kind of educated sort of yeah. like the, the yeah the cultural class. Almost. Yeah, I mean if if if you've seen um, uh, Parade's End as well, well a set of World War One, but he he's um, he's um, I believe. Um, it's trans- he's he's he's translating a um some kind of a type of essay maybe from from from from Greek and uh, putting it into a sonnet in Latin um, and uh, this is while um, um, in um, yeah, watch parades and <laughs> and he's not summarizing it. Uh, yeah, he, uh, but th- this is during World War One, and there is this um, crisis happening at at the same time. And he's and like, he's, let he's, me translate this, he's this classic Greek. Poetry. Yeah, but but he does it to kind of like um, center himself. Isn't yeah, yeah, exactly, and and kind of kick into the okay, I'm I'm going to kind of like solve all the problems. I'm going to do this sonnet, and I'm going to. 
Yeah. I, feel, I, feel, I feel like I've, so, so yeah, it, Tarantino's it, it, it version didn't of feel so out of place at least, and, style, at right? least in terms of like we're familiar with, with maybe with, with, with the premise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean it is, and it is the film. This is a film about film. The and culture stuff, so officer. Sense. Yeah, so it makes sense for his specialty to be film. Yeah, like um, and this is this is sort of where where it goes like. Uh, Michael Fassbender is amazing. He is. This is one of this was one of his first big roles. I think he'd done sort of Hunger around the same time. But this was around the time where he really sort of began to break out. Um, yeah, had, this was before he was Magneto. Yes. Okay. Well, that other movie where Michael Fassbender hunts Nazis. Um, <laughs> there's a sequence in, in X-Men First Class, which is like the scene coming up here, except it goes very differently. Yeah. Um, but he is. He's really good. And Mike Myers is there playing Austin Powers as a British general. Um, and Rod Taylor as well as there. Rod Taylor, who played, um, who was the lead character in The Birds. Apparently, he came out of retirement for this. Really? Tarantino and he, like yeah, Churchill to, has to one play line. Churchill. Yeah, who has one line in this? And he was in. Um... He was the lead character in The Birds. Oh. But apparently, Tarantino had to like hassle him. Like he fired his agent, so he proper retired. Tarantino like rang him up, and he was like, "Okay, I don't want to do this. I'm retired." And Tarantino, like Frederick Zoller, was like not taking no for an answer. Yeah, so he was like, like, if you don't do it, I'll get Albert Finney to do it. And Rod Taylor was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so, so, so, so surprised to learn that, that, that Quentin Tarantino can, can, be, can, be, can be a real jerk. <laughs> Sometimes. But don't worry, more on that later. <laughs> but um, it's a great sequence. Because I think you get to... This is the point at which the film... Well, I, the, um, I guess just an aside to like um, that, that kind of idea of Quentin Tarantino sort of... Uh, bullying somebody into being with his movie um it was it was the Malton on movies the other day where, where bruce campbell as i said was was was being interviewed spoke about sam raimi and how <laughs> much of a of, of of a bully that sam raimi is because he he knows bruce campbell from a long time so will like physically abuse him or like hit, <laughs> hit him with a two by four to kind of like ready to him, for, him into work. yeah in in in in in in in the ankle and and and that he was working he was Gene Hackman on The Quick and the Dead. And Gene Hackman basically didn't want to do <laughs> stuff. He was questioning at every turn. And then, like, his, his kind of... Um, he, the, Bruce Campbell was making the point that directors manipulate people. And I, I, I remember when I, when I used to work in hotels, I had a manager who sat me down on my birthday and, uh, and spoke about his job as a manager. And it's like, what I do is I manipulate people. <laughs> Essentially, which was which is amazing. This is very to much welcome to the world of adults, Andrew. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this is the way the world works. I don't, uh, uh, uh, You're fan, 34 years old now. It's time honesty. to learn this. Yeah. But with Gene Hackman, what it was was he was supposed to do a certain thing in a scene and didn't, chose not to, and then and then um, Sam, Raimi. Sam Raimi is watching it on a monitor, and all Sam Raimi has to say is, oh, "I guess it's okay." <laughs> Gene Hackman is like, oh, we can do it again. It's like, yeah, absolutely, let's do it again. <laughs> Set up everything, and it's like, go. Oh, so you're gonna, you're gonna rock the, the dust in your face, and yeah, and you just kind of the master manipulator. So yeah. I, I, I suppose that's part of what um, being director is. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there are all sorts of horror stories about Stanley Kubrick when we land on the Stanley Kubrick film uh, that we'll get to. But yeah, there, there, there is a bit of that. But I think what's interesting about this is like you have this idea of. Uh, Fassbender playing a movie critic as a hero of the film like the, this is a film about film like it's about assassinating the German high command at a film premiere it's about propaganda it's about mythology it's about mm. sort of storytelling and stuff like that like there's a there's a point where like it seems like and you, I think you took umbrage when we were watching this when it was like Goebbels which is Hitler's right-hand man 
And you're like, no, not not not really at all as far as actual history goes. No. Yeah, it was the minister for propaganda, but yeah. I, I I like we we uh, we think about it a lot now, but I, I, I can't imagine that Goebbels was was was the main man in, in, in Nazi that. Germany. I think there were there was perhaps uh, things that were more important to, to Hitler even than propaganda. Like winning the war. Like winning the war and um, I suppose the um, uh, final solution. Yeah, but again, this is, in the world of Inglorious Bastards, it, it's very much about the propaganda war. Like, as far as its worldview is, like, it's about mythology. It's about crafting this idea of legend. It's like why all the characters ask if you've heard about me. It's about why the film premiere is so important. It's about mm. why the downfall of Nazi Germany in this film is ultimately through a pile of burning film. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, but it is. And I think so making one of the heroes a film critic is very much part of that. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's... Um, and it's interesting as well. The Yeah, it's it's more... There is there is a lot of dramatic irony in this movie. Because yeah. there there is... Um, I think you pointed out a number of times... The, um, I'm the in, worst person to watch a film with, by the way, just so we're clear on this. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, the, um, I thought it was really useful. The, the, the thing about it, in, in, in France, we respect directors. Yes, Tarantino repeatedly over the course of the film hammers home the point that France is much, much, much better a place for directors yeah. uh, in that it's the home of auteur theory. But also, coincidentally, he's sat on a Cannes jury and I think he's got the Palme d'Or and stuff like yeah. that, uh, whereas he's never won the Best Picture Oscar. And uh, he's never won the Best Director Oscar. So I think that... So there is a point where he asks... Like, when Zoller is harassing uh, Shoshana, um, he's asking about putting the name up there on signs. And she's like, in France, we respect directors. When she gives a tour of the cinema to Goebbels and to everybody, uh, Goebbels says, you know, it's like a church. Yeah. You know? Like, there's this veneration and respect and love of film that runs through Tarantino's work. And, and I suppose the... Uh, the and, and Which is a little self-serving at times. Other, other aspects of this uh, kind of dramatic irony is the, the whole play within a play kind of aspect of it. Oh, where everybody's performing, basically. Yeah, yeah. Where, and, and yeah, where, where, where you have the cinema experts and where they're going to be showing a movie. Yeah. And where, yeah, and where... where um, they're dressing up. They're putting on costumes. Yeah. There's an actress who is actually a double agent who is an actress. You know? Yeah, yeah. All this sort of stuff. And I mean, you even have stuff that sort of winks and nods, like Mike Myers is basically playing Austin Powers. It's it's it's funny, kind of how. Well, I suppose that's that's uh, that's always been a um, a trend in filmmaking. Is a lot of a lot of filmmaking is uh, self um, referencing. Yeah. yeah, and like like even Pop like itself. Um, yeah, like like um, Akira Kurosawa uh, uh, being inspired by um, these uh, John Ford uh, we westerns, which which, which which in turn inspired uh, some of the spaghetti westerns and um, yeah. and I mean, like, like the, the the Magnificent Seven and the, the, the and, and the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, even that from I think. Uh, Yojimbo has inspired so many, um, like like um, the point that terrible Bruce Willis. Oh, the t last man standing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, and also you could just say uh, that terrible Bruce Willis. And just because there is only one, we're big Bruce Willis fans here. Um, but also more pointedly, like it inspired. Uh, was it for a, a fistful of, of dollars? Terrible Bruce Willis. Yeah, by the way. it inspired a fistful of dollars. But ironically, then you have like you have this nice sort of self-referencing full circle where. Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven inspired sort of a samurai western 
um, mm. which was quite nice as well. And again, even this, this is this is a spaghetti western to the point where like the scene of Shoshana running away from the house is stolen from the searchers. The scene of Land arriving is, is from the Good Valley Oli as we discussed. Like it is, yeah. it's a love letter to cinema. And yeah, the there's, power there's, of cinema. There's, there's, there's a great tendency in cinema to have cinema about cinema. Yeah, well, Argo won the Best Picture Oscar. Yeah, exactly. Which is like how Hollywood saved well, Iran, well, you know, the Iran hostages. Like, generally, like, if we're looking at literature, um, like, literature is is more kind of direct in, in, in the way it looks at life, where it, whereas, whereas cinema is very kind of aware of, of its, its own name, medium. Yeah, pulled yeah. back through it, you know? Yeah, and I suppose stage as well. And stage uh, is aware or direct? Aware. Okay. Yes. Like, like some, some, somewhere in between. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, like it's not as if like postmodernism began in literature with like Tristram Shandy and stuff like that. More, you know, probably began earlier than that, but that's the one that people point to. Yeah, and and the um, the sequel to Don Quixote, I think as well. Okay. Yeah, where is the the first um, kind of a, a example of um, a dramatic irony where he's saying, "Well, I've become quite famous in the interim." Uh, as a result, you've no the, doubt read my book. book, which is the three. <laughs> The, pre- yeah. Yeah, the first part of this but yeah so anyway in terms of that so we get the the fourth sequence is, is actually quite a long sequence because it mm. doesn't only follow the briefing where uh, Archie is told basically what he's going to do it follows him to the meeting in, in the tavern which is another one of those great tension dripping scenes absolutely um, mm. because it is they go down to the ta- the tavern's supposed to be a ba- well first of all the tavern's in a basement and what's the problem with finding a basement Andrew you don't um... what's your first problem <laughs> So first problem is because you're fighting in the basement. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Um, and then when they arrive there, they find that this little French tavern that's supposed to be empty and quiet is actually populated by a bunch of German officers. Yeah, so yeah, like the, the first suggestion when, when uh, Michael Fassbender and... Um, sorry. Um, and Hugo Stiglitz. Hugo Stiglitz. We're mixing up the actors and the characters. It's but Michael anyway, Fassbender anyway. and Hugo Stiglitz. Yeah. Which Tarantino would like, I think. That's yeah, that element yeah. of self-referentialness. Well, yeah. Archie yeah, Hill Cops and Hugo Stiglitz. It's like the game that they're playing. One of the... Uh, the cards on It could top. be a fictional character, which is Hugo Stiglitz. Or it could be a real person like <laughs> Michael Fassbender. Schwelle, yeah. yeah. The, one of the first suggestions when they come into the room and sit down is like... We should leave. Yeah, we should leave immediately, which is very sensible. And it's like... No, no, no. I feel like uh, we should have a drink. Yeah, yeah. It it would uh, it would look very unusual if if <laughs> if someone were to meet me at a at a, at, a, at an inn and then leave, um, even though that would potentially save our lives. But wouldn't they be thinking for the rest of the evening? Oh, I wonder what the story was with that. Yeah, um, why would that celebrity woman go away with three three men out of our company? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they went to another bar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know if um, if uh, the what was, what was the name of that uh, it had a, a, a lady's name that little town Nadine named after Coyle yeah um, so yeah that's um, it's another example of a great sort of tension building scene though because it the characters should by all accounts get out of there as quickly oh, yeah. as possible it's like again they have <laughs> many many opportunities to and Diane uh, Kruger Kruger's uh, character uh, repeatedly like repeatedly it's like no no no let's it stay be don't suspicious. be silly yeah. let's have another bottle of champagne let's have another drink it's let's like let's friend. play a bloody game with like, this suspicious yeah. Nazi anyone SS have officer? monopoly yeah no that's too short <laughs> yeah 
It is. Um, it's it's a great sequence because there are there are multiple points at which Fassbender's character uh, Hickox yeah. is like, oh, I need to end these interactions as quickly yeah. as possible. He even says to to the person who joins them, "You're intruding," and he says. Well, that's surely up to the up, lady. Up to the lady. I said, "Am I intruding?" It's a perfect opportunity to say, "Unfortunately, I'm, yes, you I'm are intruding." And she says, "No, no, you're not intruding. Stay, you're, please." It's yeah, you're prolong very, this. Yeah, you sort of imagine that there's a cut of the film where Hickox is just making like the kill gesture with uh, with his hand. Oh, on his neck, it's basically. infuriating, and that th- that's what bothers me about these sorts of things where it's, it's sort of like tension scenes where there's no reason. playing with you. And it's, but I it's, like it. I think it's yeah. No, I I I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe maybe maybe maybe it's bad for my nerves or something. Because <laughs> like I I I um I like I like when um kind of um when they're I like the kind of in I find it's. Uh, saddest in movies where there's this kind of like unavoidable kind of uh, tragedy <laughs> as opposed to an avoidable tragedy avoidable where people tragedy, make bad decisions which I just find annoying <laughs> kind of like, when you're no, in the no, situation no, no, no, you're no. like make the right yeah, choice exactly like which which which is like when when when I when I when I went um through through through a phase of crying at at movies, who who was kind of like in these kind of like sad inevitability um, uh, deaths, where like in in um, um, say like American History X, where where where there's a character dies. No spoilers for that movie. Um, lots are, of are, characters are, die. Or in uh, Boys in the Hood, where where where also a, lots a, of another character dies. Um, and it's this kind of sad inevitability about it, where uh, where where you feel like somebody tried to kind of um, escape, es- escape or, get, get or, or, or, or get out of, of, of this situation and and it, and and and couldn't and it happens anyway and that's what so I this is like the Carlitos way sadness is what you yeah. feel as opposed to the Scarface that's, sadness which is that's one. something that that I enjoy in a perverse way is is is enjoy is a very strong word that maybe affects know. you know yeah, yeah yeah and it affects me in a way that I'm comfortable with like like where where where I feel like a film has more value when when when when it kind of strikes that tone with me but as I say that is that is just a um a taste of mine but I really I I really it really bothers me in in, in the, <laughs> you see and it, it seems to happen more and more in in in, in, in film these yeah. days and in, and in television as well, well i think i've spoken about breaking bad well, that's why i stopped watching breaking bad you, you stopped watching okay this is not I the breaking bad podcast but you stopped watching breaking bad i did okay well, in fairness, I would argue that the reason that this happens more and more in television these days is because of the emergence of the anti-hero where like the character who makes the wrong decision is the character you're interested in watching? Well, t- t- Tony Tony Soprano is he makes numerous an an- bad is, decisions. Is an anti-hero, but but he he ha- you're see, like he's born he's, to a certain thing. Like- no, no, no. That like with with um with um, Walter White. Walter White. He's he's making uh, bad decisions for him. Um, in in in the Sopranos, there's always a sense, and uh, that's um, uh, Tony Soprano is is is a an artist, 
when when when it comes to these sorts of things and and and it, and is very kind of um accomplished when it comes to ma- making uh decisions that are bad for other people <laughs> but he manages to weasel through yeah Right. no no like i i think they're very different okay. um uh types of anti-heroes where where like an anti-hero is the the anti-heroes that i like that who are who are who are working against um uh our kind of norms um but not necessarily working against ourselves sorry against themselves where where where where they seem to want to to to destroy themselves and we, and we have to kind of in in endure that all right i don't think though that when you're talking about stuff like walter white that their their urge is to destroy themselves it's mainly that they make bad decisions that are, are fundamentally morally bad if not you know out of self-interest like white's well, white's actions are all out of his greed and pride okay okay but um so yeah, the tavern scene, and I love what I really love about the scene is the sequence where they're they're trying they're building this incredibly over elaborate sort of backstory for Michael Fassbender's character and his weird accent and how he grew mm. up in the shadow of a Lenny Reifenstahl film. Yeah, um, and it's like, oh, don't worry, his brother was in there and his brother was much more handsome and got a close up, and you're like, that's the point at which the Nazi realized that this was all a ruse because there's no way Michael Fassbender has a more attractive brother. <laughs> that's the point at which there was just one too many straws on that camera. Yeah. Oh, sorry, on that camel's back. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I would like um, for Quentin Tarantino. It's like they, he's always been asked. It's like, show us, show us the the, the more the, attractive. Show standard. us the evidence yes. that there is a more attractive. And it's just like, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna come out with the evidence at an appropriate time. Um, Why does he sound like Carpenter? <laughs> Why does Quentin Tarantino sound like No, this, this, this, sorry, that was my my terrible Donald Trump, <laughs> uh, as opposed to the real terrible Donald Trump. Oh yeah, the, the, the, um, yeah. I suppose like how how would you make Donald Trump work? But um, have Will I Am do an impression? Com- completely. Have Will I Am try to do anything well and and get ready to be disappointed? I'm sorry. Right. We're, we're, right. we're having like poli- po- political opinions and and, and, and, and thrashing, also opinions about will I am yeah. as well. All right, but anyway, so that's that's that scene. We won't dwell too much on the tavern scene then. Mm. After that, there was there was another uh, Tarantino trope that we get to see because uh, uh, Hans Landa is inspecting <laughs> the, the the wreckage, and of course he finds a shoe. A woman's a high shoe. Heel, a woman's shoe. Yeah, this is this is something a recurring Tarantino that fixation. We, we suspect Tarantino might be sort of into. Just uh, a little bit based upon his work. Yeah. Um, yes, he has a thing about women's feet. Um. By the way, Michael Fassbender and Hugo Stiglitz, um, the the fictional and and the real, <laughs> <laughs> the the fictional character of Michael Fassbender, <laughs> gets gets gets killed in in uh, in in this scene. And yeah, there's two really great characters that that that you lose. And and um, I was really sad to see them go. And and as well because it was so avoidable. But yeah, so it is, and it is, you do lose those characters. But I think it works well, and it does that thing that Tarantino does where he makes you care for a character before he horribly, horribly kills them. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like John Travolta. In Pulp Fiction, even just more. Just unceremoniously. Even Harvey Keitel, or whatever. Pretty much everybody who's not Steve Buscemi in Reservoir Dogs 
And as much as I like Steve Buscemi, I'm not prepared to say that I liked him more than I liked everybody else in that cast. And there are, and there's even stuff like, yeah, so he, yeah, Jackie Brown. He has, a, he has a tendency of doing that with characters. He'll build them up and build them up, give them great scenes, give them a great dialogue scene, and then kill them off brutally at the end of it. Yeah. And I think that, that works quite well, because I do like the idea of an actor getting, like, a send-off. Yeah. Like, I feel like if Hugo Stiglitz had disappeared into the background, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as good. Or if, say, uh, Hickox, or Michael Fassbender, as we're calling him. By the uh, way, just to kind of... Sorry, I interrupted. No, go ahead. Um, that scene where the Michael Fassbender and the German who um, discovers <laughs> that, that, they're, that they're not who they appear to be... Uh, By how they gesture the digit three. Yeah. They're holding guns to each other's... Um, crotches. Crotches. And both of them decide... Um, well, there's no way of getting out of this. I would suggest, like, if I were in that position, of like um, having a gun, of, point of having a gun point on my crotch, it's like, let's agree to just shoot each other in the face. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can we can we can we go for that compromise? We gently, maybe maybe yeah. lower gut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just no, just like put it put it like right into my face, and <laughs> and, and and just yeah, like. Um, like shoot me twice in the head, just to be sure. But don't, don't, don't shoot yeah, me in the yeah, crotch. yeah. Because you want, want an open casket. And what kind can't... of open casket do you? Like, what kind of open casket are you having? Where getting shot in the crotch is getting worse than getting shot in the head. When I die, age two hundred will be at a nudist ceremony. Perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Uh-huh. In, a, in, a, in, a, in a very tasteful. <laughs> Um, Once the the future Moors still have to catch up. No, with you. I, I, I, I don't think okay. I'm, I, the, the, this this is referenced in movie as well. The, this male um, fascination, kind of fear of of like whatever of else you do. Yeah. It's it's it's that scene in Crocodile Dundee where he holds up a a, a, a knife to somebody's throat and he's like, "I'm not telling you anything." And then, and then he, he holds it, it yeah. holds it down to his balls because he's at a urinal. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I did feel like I, f- I did feel, for example, like having the gun pointed at each other's crotch was made sense in terms of those two. For but then there's the point where Hugo Stiglitz takes his gun out over the table, yeah. and puts it down back under the table, pointing at his crotch. At this point, it would just have been easier to point it at the small of his back. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's trying to. Maybe Tarantino is trying to affect us, us men who are who are who are so um, who are so protective. <laughs> Of, of the jobs, yeah, yeah, and the, it, this, this, like a kind of like a body horror sort of um, there, motif. There is, in fairness, there there is um, there is a similar fix. Like Tarantino, yeah, has has this male emasculation thing going on, um, and it comes up again in the Hateful Eight, which we'll hopefully talk about at some point in the future. Mm. But and, and there's the the the the the, the, the rape in in um, oh in, pulp, in, sorry, in uh, pulp fiction, pulp fiction, yeah, yes, sorry. as well. No, there is. Tarantino is very sort of conscious. And you can argue how exploitative that is versus how well observed that is. Yeah. Um, but I, I think... I but, think yeah, you, you, would, you would... Sorry. No, go ahead. You would, you, would, you would think with Michael Fassbender's character's decision to... Well, in, in, in that case, I'll, I'll go, out, I'll, speaking I'll go out speaking to kings. And please that, don't shoot me in the testicles. Yeah, you'd think he'd have more consideration for the crown jewels. Yeah. Is there something to be said for the fact that the only person who survives that scene is the woman, Diane Kruger? If we're talking about pointing guns at each other's crotches, um, which are themselves sort of phallic symbols, pointing at other phallic symbols. I mean, the, the female waiter dies uh, as well, unfortunately. Well, there are two females who die in that scene. 
Oh, there are as well. Yes, there is. Yeah. There's the the German. She's a it's member. Inexplicable of the kind of um, uh, big um, German woman soldier. Was that a thing? I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I don't know enough about the makeup of German platoons to comment upon that. Yeah. He says, after we've had long discussions about Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Japanese politics, and Trumpism. So with that in mind, then, we see gently into the final chapter. Chapter 5 is The Revenge of the Giant Face. Which is just masterful. Oh, it's amazing. I'll allow you to, to, to, to wax lyrical um, about, the lyrics about, the, uh, about the musical choice. Well, the musical choice is David Bowie's Cat People putting out fire. Uh, which was a soundtrack that he produced for a remake of the Val Luton Cat People film in 1983, I think, maybe 1984. By the way, um, Darren isn't reading this. <laughs> this is just coming off, off, off the top uh, of my head. Yeah. Um, it was between the albums, uh, was it Scary Monsters and Super Freaks, which is the album that had Ash Dashes on it, and it's generally regarded as closing Bowie's best decade, the 70s, and the advent of 80s pop Bowie with uh, Let's Dance which generally introduced a range of what's regarded to be Bowie's sort of subpar but more popular mainstream establishment hits. Cat People sits sort of in between those two, and it's sort of it's a cult hit. It was a remix and resample for Let's Dance as an inferior version, but the version that Tarantino uses is quite correctly the version that was used as the theme song to the movie Cat People. But that doesn't matter, because it's got this wonderful sort of synth bass line going through it, and this marvellous David Bowie vocal, which might be... Like, Bowie has some wonderful lyrics, and it isn't his best lyric, but it may be my favourite, my personal favourite, as a long-term David Bowie fan, my personal favourite David Bowie vocal is the bit where... But it's set over this montage of Shoshana getting ready for the Nazi premiere. And I've been putting on fire With gasoline shot sequence it's all the reds fantastic transition and it's gorgeous and this is a gorgeous movie in yeah. general it may be in terms technically speaking I think it may be Tarantino's best looking film yeah um, and best constructed and best I, I would certainly agree with that yeah um, it's just got this polished look to it and you've also got this stuff like this wonderful sequence of Shoshana putting on makeup but it's presented as if she's putting on war paint like she puts on blusher mm. like she's uh, an old Native American in one of those like old westerns yeah where she sort of draws it across her cheek like it's war paint or that she's going to put on camouflage or, yeah yeah that sort of thing which which I think it works very very well and sort of sets the tone for what's to come yeah and and it's um, I, gu- I guess it's a it's a familiar um, enough kind of trope with a lot of um, directors is um, this uh, warrior woman like al- already we've we've done um, Leon and we've also done uh, Aliens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it it is it is something that that that comes up a lot. Yeah. When it when it when it comes to the um, preoccupations of, of directors or writers or auteurs. Auteurs. Because we're, we're, in, we're in France and we respect directors. Artists. Artists. <laughs> but I think one of the differences between, and we should probably then we, we will talk, really talk about this because it's the point to talk about it, but the difference between, say, Shoshana and somebody like Ripley or somebody like uh, Matilda from Leon mm. is the fact, and it's actually it's an interesting contrast to, Tar- to Tarantino's work in Kill Bill with the Bride, is this idea that Shoshana is somebody who is literally and figuratively consumed by her vengeance in that uh, she she gets her revenge upon the Nazi establishment but at the cost of her life. Like We last see her her face going up in, in flames or the smoke 
Like, there's a sense that she's consumed by her desire she's, for revenge. And the, the, um, we, we, we also come back to uh, what was foreshadowed earlier, which is the, the, the true face of, of the nice guy. The yeah. rather unpleasant hissy fish when, when he finally can't have his way. Yeah, when um, she definitely says no. She repeats, she said at one point she says, can't you take no for an answer? Yeah. Which is, is very much like, it's a very, in this, in this era, in this day and age of like consent and all that sort of, like the focus on consent. That's a very pointed line. And then he's like, I'm not somebody you just say, and it's not no to, but it's not somebody you just say, go away to. Mm. It's what he says. There's a sense of entitlement. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's that, um, there, is, there is a piece about this uh, um, as it relates to video games, I believe. And it, it's, no. it was called um, The Princesses in Another Castle. And it was about... Oh, this uh, is Arthur Chu, is it? Or? It may have been. But it, yeah, it was, it was about um, uh, kind of How this idea of men, men and entitlement. Yeah, yeah. that all you, all you have to do you have to is complete a quest. clear the level and then you win the princess. Yeah. Yeah. You, so it's, it's like a... Winning somebody's heart is equivalent to yeah know, to collecting whereas, or yeah. Where, whereas, like if we uh, if if it's if an accomplishment we, if we were to look at somebody who um, as uh, as men who we simply weren't attracted to and think kind of like can they kind of win us over? It's like no, no, we're not not not attracted to them. That's not how it works. But we're we're, we're kind of uh, brought up to think that that the that the inverse is true. Yeah. That if you work hard enough, yeah. if you accomplish a set number of things, if you are a war hero mm. uh, like Zoller is, that certain things are promised to you yeah. and you are deserving of certain and, things. And, and I, I, I haven't been um, immune to, to, to making that mistake in my personal life, kind of grow, growing up. I think it's a lesson that'll, that'll, that'll, that a lot of men... Have to uh, learn. Have, yeah, absolutely. And it is. I think it's something that we should we should sort of talk about. Not too much Mario. <laughs> too much Mario. Well, no, I mean, it's not even Mario. It's more like, even if you look at stuff like, say, romantic comedies. I don't, I don't want to show Mario under the... the under the, the Mario Kart, as it were. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it is. Like, it's, it's very much something that we learn from. We learn from books. We learn from films. We look at romantic comedies. Like, in the romantic comedy... John Cusack standing outside a girl's window with a boombox is not like creepy stalker activity. It's romantic and charming. The Notebook, where she won't go on a date with him, so he risks his life in order to force her to go on a date with him. We're like, oh, that's true love. Yeah, and I think that there's there's this expectation. Yeah, sh showing showing showing up some somewhere, or doing something crazy or unreasonable. Yeah, is it is a sign of affection that should be respected, like as a yeah, sign of commitment, yeah. which is is something that is very toxic. Yeah, and I think it informs a lot of, say, the expectations and a lot of the objections that you see, the sort of backlash that you see towards stuff like feminism or towards, say, uh, consent education or something. I'm like that. I'm really looking forward to, by the way, the kind of backlash that this sort of uh, podcast is going. Yeah, to. yeah, but from probably from both directions as well. People who say these uh, are two guys talking about yeah, yeah that, that that we don't understand what we're talking about at all which and, we don't and, which we don't and and also coming from people who are like oh you're part of that movement and thinking yeah. that we represent um uh the um uh pro progressive that PC we are forces of, of yeah. yeah that we are forces of the liberal elite establishment yeah uh which we are neither so i'm looking forward to that <laughs> yeah. yeah don't worry we'll be handing out our twitter, our twitter handles at the end of the podcast so comment you can, section you can get right on that if you feel the urge but yeah even beyond say the the zoller stuff there's like i think the montage is great like the montage set to cast oh, of shoshana fantastic. like and, she, and she, she she puts on a sort of like a 
funereal veil as yeah. well. Well, she knows she's not getting out alive, I think, mm. is the thing. Um, and I think, like, her, uh, her partner as well knows he isn't getting out alive. Um, and there is sort of, like, there's this grim sense that she knows what this will cost her. Um, which is, is interesting, because it's kind of the inverse of Kill Bill. Kill Bill, you know, he had the bride wake up and, and wreak a terrible revenge on the people who'd wronged her and killed her lover and stuff like that. But she eventually got her life back at the end of the film. She got her, mm. her daughter back. Whereas in this, Shoshana knows that she can't have that. She can't have a happy ever after. Like, she cries at the end. Like, she, she cries quite a bit um, at the end. She cries when she says goodbye to her lover because she knows she's never going to see him again. She almost, she even cries a little bit after she shoots uh, Zoller as well because she yeah, sees she, him on screen. She, she all, all of a sudden feels, yeah, this, and I maybe... I'm wondering, is that because she saw him on screen and cinema has this sort of effect on her? Exactly. Like, it's like, like we, we as the audience are kind of tricked earlier in the movie into kind of feeling this... Um, seeing him as a character. Kind of, yeah, yeah this almost affection for him. And yeah. maybe, yeah, they... they um, Maybe her her sudden kind of turn when, when, when, when she feels sorry ground, for yeah. him is making a point about, about how we're tricked kind of as an audience as well. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of that in in the in the fifth chapter as a whole. Like, it's a scene that has a massacre. Right. It, so it, it the film is Pride of the Nation. It's a Nazi propaganda piece. Like, there's a great sequence where um, Zoller is idly whittling a swastika uh, into the ground in the church cathedral by passing the time, and the crowd perfect go wild. swastika, by the way. It's yeah. Very <laughs> very well done. Yeah. Like you wouldn't think that he was sniping three hundred soldiers at the same time and sort of doodling this. This is like this is like a solid three hours of work here. Yeah, well, and yeah, I, I suppose it would make sense that he would put as much attention into into his swastika as as he would into killing three hundred Allied soldiers. Yeah, um, and then basically the crowd goes wild, and then later on, and we talked about this at the start of the podcast, like everybody in that cinema dies, all those Nazis die, and the crowd goes wild, and the crowd being myself and Andrew. Like, yeah. I think there's a very clever sort of meta, meta, you know, meta textual commentary going on there uh, that's not subtle at all, but I think that's kind of the point of it. Yeah. Like, like yeah, because um, Tarantino um, has no time for these people who, and there are like a lot of them. I was listening, I, this is the third time now I'm going back to talk about Leonard Maltin. No, he, well, well, he's, he was he's saying legend, the, so. the, the, the other day that he doesn't care for gore in movies and neither does his wife. Um, that they will tolerate it, but yeah. but like it's not something that they like. Similarly, like that I don't like the the, the kind of, kind of cringe tension. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's um, it Tarantino. I think is is very much on the record of like, like having very little time for people who don't have time for gore, and and wanting to to to kind of show people see how you love this. See, see, see, see, see how you're getting such a thrill out of this because, like, you, it, it's, I, I would imagine it's very difficult for, for, for people not to kind of like enjoy Feel that scene on some reason. level. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a room it, full of Nazis. Like, it's okay yeah. to hate Nazis. Yeah. Like, I would argue that, yeah, one of the, one of the reasons, like, one of the reasons this is a World War II film is because Nazis are the kind of people he can do this to without raising any issues of sort mm. of, of, you know, moral relativism or all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like Nazis are the, the one group of people in the entire history of the world is entirely acceptable to do this to. Yeah. And then, like, like it, it's, it's, it's making a very strong point. It's not yeah. like a kind of, um, there, is, there isn't, there isn't the, um, kind of room for nuance because nuance is the very thing 
that is being, I guess, argued against. Yeah, he's rejecting, which is like yeah. nuance would be to suggest that Frederick Zoller is a good Nazi. He is not. Yeah, yeah. he is a terrible human being. He's he's responsible. He's a an active yeah. participant. Hugo Stiglitz is a good Nazi. Yes, because he rams his fist down the throats of bad Nazis. Yeah. Um, because he does terrible things. <laughs> because he does terrible things, but to terrible to people. To bad people, yeah. Well, this is, this is the thing, and this is like, we're talking about like Tarantino's moral compass, right? Mm. Inglorious Bastards is largely a film about, say, propaganda and the importance of movies and narratives as they're constructed, right? And he draws, I think Tarantino draws, and correct me if, if, I, if I'm reading too much into it here, but Tarantino draws an equivalence in terms of technique between what the Nazis do and what the Allies do. So in terms of, like, there's a point where when Hickox is being interviewed by Winston Churchill and he's talking about how Goebbels sort of sees himself as building a myth of the Third Reich on screen, like a propaganda response to the liberal Jewish media in the United States. And Churchill responds by saying, well, how is he doing that relative to Louis B. Mayer? Um, and Hickox doesn't sort of flinch at the suggestion of equivalence between what the Nazis are doing and what, say, what the, the liberal establishment is doing. He responds by saying, actually, he sees himself more as David O. Selznick. I think that, that Tarantino is making the point that it's perfectly acceptable to construct propaganda. The only difference is the moral equivalence involved in that. Like, the, the Nazis weren't bad for using propaganda. The Nazis were bad because they were Nazis. And Nazi mm. propaganda is bad because it's Nazi propaganda. Mm. Whereas, on the other hand, I think that there's a suggestion here that stuff like the myth-making of the, uh, the Inglorious Bastards themselves although it's the same technique, is not inherently bad because it's tied to a superior moral point of view. Yeah, this, this, isn't, this isn't some kind of... Um, yeah, this, this isn't a... a um, oh, well, let's, let's uh, look at this from all angles. This no, is no. very, very uh, yeah, unapologetically a piece of propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> um, a, a very uh, enjoyable, uh, far-fetched, extreme... <laughs> <laughs> history bending <laughs> piece of propaganda yeah uh, which i think is probably how he gets away with killing hitler is that yes it's it's meant to feel unreal and legendary did we mention he kills hitler which is great because it really it's it's the kind of thing where you i was waiting for hitler to get out of the booth but it, it just sort of throws you there it just sort of catches you you know and like there there's there's a lot of uh of good violent scenes where it's like a, a where it's a dummy been um being beaten like the the scene where eli roth is um, in the where, booth yes where no where where where it, um earlier in the movie where it, it kind of zooms out and it hasn't uh beating somebody oh, with the baseball in, bat, in the skull it? with a baseball yeah. bat there's like horrific um yeah um and then uh, funny enough when it when it when it goes back to to the original shot they've they've uh uh, they've they've maybe made a continuity error in in in terms of he looks kind of like badly. <laughs> he doesn't look of, as bad. Yeah, right? yeah. He, it, like from from from the pan out shot, it looked like his head just burst. Caved, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah. But but the the um, when it when it's like looking at dummies, kind of like being riddled with bullets. Yeah, it's well, a, sort that's of, the thing. Like I mean, there's no sense that you're meant to feel bad. Like. The entire sequence is constructed, it's obviously constructed to evoke the Holocaust. Like, it's constructed, first of all, to evoke Zoller's uh, massacre of the, of the Allied soldiers with the, with, you know, with the bear Jew firing from the crowds up in the sky, right? Mm. Uh, sorry, up in the box. 
But it's also meant to evoke the Holocaust in that they're literally locking them in an oven and burning them. Like, this is the face of Jewish vengeance. There's a certain poetic irony to the idea of burning a bunch of Germans alive in a room. Yeah. And I think the film... Some critics have argued that this is a, a, an attempt to make an argument about the, the ambivalence of, of violence. That you're meant to feel sort of... You're meant to go, oh, maybe we're just as well, bad as the Nazis. I guess... But... Yeah. Sorry. But I, I think the way the scenes are shot, like, you don't get to see the faces of that many Nazis. Like, the, the camera focuses on their backs, on their flailing limbs. You don't get to see them or humanise any of the Nazis beyond, say, Zoller himself. Or Hitler, uh, who gets sort of shot in the face. Well, I, I would kind of disagree with that to an extent, because I thought there was a juxtaposition between the, the movie, uh, within the movie, yeah. which, which is... Um, which was, was directed by Pride, Eli Roth. Pride of a Nation? Yes, Nation's Pride, I think. And, yeah, um, where... Um, where it's it's it's kind of typical kind of um, where people are being shot, but it there there's no sort of I oh, sort of sanitized. Uh, yeah, where yeah, no where yeah, no and people are kind of like laughing along with it and yeah. stuff. Where there isn't like all of this um, gore that some people will argue that it's not gratuitous if if if it gives you the kind of uh, yeah the the the kind of hard kind of disgusting nature of of of death where yeah. where there's all of this kind of i would i would embrace that i would i would yeah. argue that it's better to show graphic violence and show the consequences of violence than it is to portray like gunshots as clean or now, sanitary having said that I, I i i i i am partially in in in this in this movie i found it fine but there are there are there are there are movies where i feel like oh no, that's that's as far too much. I, I speaking of Eli Roth. Um. Well, I, w- I was thinking of um, uh, a lot of Martin Scorsese movies. Really? Yeah. I. I, okay, I um, that's, that's interesting. Um. I didn't. Part, parts of Casino, especially. Like I the, the crushing of the vice. That's probably the, mo- the most. Well, you know that scene was put in extreme. to be taken out. Oh. He only put that scene in because he knew the censors would ask him to cut something. Yeah. So he put in something gratuitously violent, hoping that they'd ask him to cut it. Came back, they said, nope, that's all fine. They just At which decided point, that Martin Scorsese was a genius yeah, and he not gets to touch to do, him. He gets to do what he wants. Yeah. Um, so he was like, he could have cut the sequence out, but then he would have had to submit it again. Mm. So he was like, at that stage, I think he was like, just leave it in and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so yes, that particular scene is, is the very definition of gratuitous. Yeah. Yeah. I, but uh, I... I I generally have very little problem in with gore and graphic violence in movies as long as it serves a purpose. I do have an issue well, with, say, Roth's use of it in stuff like Hostel. Yeah, like in in in this movie, Inglorious Bastards, it's very it's very apparent that like um, the the violence that's been wrought on these people is because they're Nazis. Yes. Whereas in in um, and and that Nazis are um, unequivocally. Um, bad evil people um whereas in uh martin scorsese movies they're generally about criminals and And uh, yeah crime crime is often um economic or social yeah exactly where and and and um and that's yeah that that there's much more ambiguity there and that, that there are injustices that aren't criminal yeah. and there are uh, criminal crimes that, that, are not that, that are not unjust. Whereas, whereas in, in, in, in, in a Martin Scorsese movies, it, it, it, there, 
there are people who are who are maybe operating racketeering who are meeting brutal um deaths and it's kind of what what point is being is going to be made here but i guess that's for another that's podcast for a martin scorsese to, podcast to, to, to discuss yeah what are the odds you land on a scorsese one <laughs> There, there's, there's also. Oh, there's also. This is where the inappropriate smoking comes in. Yeah, the, the, the um, as has been a two fifty trope. It, it very much has. The, we, we, we need a inappropriate smoking team. <laughs> I think <laughs> at this point, but um, yeah, the, the, the um, when her, her, her partner, um, do we ever learn his name? Marcel. Okay. Yeah. Because he's French. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In, in inappropriate smoking. Um, the character Marcel is uh, is smoking a cigarette next to a huge bonfire of highly cellulite. flammable thirty five nitrate film. Yeah, so which is great by the way. It's literally weaponizing film against the Nazis. Yeah, in case you don't get the movie, some <laughs> propaganda themes. Of course, and, then, and yeah, and it, it's it's like oh maybe maybe don't uh, smoke that uh, right next to it. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're waiting for the point at which to light up, maybe stand a little bit further back. Yeah, it's uh, yeah the the, the um, we were we were we were hoping that we would get somebody smoking in the in the scene in the veterinary clinic, but, but I, I, I, we I, could I don't unfortunately think we instead that. of putting out a cigarette on Diane Kruger as a method of torture. Uh, Aldo Reigns being the subtle man that he is decided to just jab a finger into a bullet wound which does stop the bleeding it does stop the bleeding unfortunately it's a long term solution no which again leads to that great Tarantino foot fetish sequence oh god yes where yeah. yes where she's wearing a cast and the cast is a high heel which I noticed is that a thing um, now it is <laughs> <laughs> after this film yeah yeah but it is it, it came from the sick mind of Quentin Tarantino <laughs> Yeah, it's like I like I like casts. I like feet. If we could find a way to do the cast to emphasize the feet, yeah. Oh, so, actually, this this talk of uh, Tarantino tropes has reminded me of a further Tarantino trope in in in the scene in the inn when when when when the uh, the officer his his his newborn son is called Maximilian, Maximilian. and his name is Wilhelm. Yeah, he's Sergeant Wilhelm. And he's he's just unloaded his uh, his machine gun and he's put in another clip, and Brad Pitt is coming down the stairs, and he uh, he says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, it's a Mexican you, standoff." Yeah, you, you have to put away that gun. We didn't agree to a Mexican standoff. Very Tarantino touch is them <laughs> arguing about what a Mexican standoff <laughs> and whether is. this counts. Yeah, it's like uh, Crimson Tide where they're having an argument about uh, Silver Surfer. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you can, can tell, tell that Tarantino yeah. was brought in to polish the script at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's put this ridiculous kind of um, uh, <laughs> out of context pop ner- culture argument, nerdy kind of yeah, yeah. argument in, in in into the script. But yeah, that, that that's that's something that I felt like you're not going to get it past us, Tarantino. <laughs> nice try. Yeah. But then, of course, Landa lures. So basically, at the premiere, uh, Diane Kruger invites because. The actual German-speaking members of the platoon are all dead because apparently mm. there are only three people in the entire Inglorious Bastards platoon who can speak German, which seems seems impractical. I'm just going to yeah. say that. Um, they all end up dead. So she goes undercover. She invites them to the premiere, posing as Italian filmmakers. Yeah. And there's, at- there's, there's a lot of... There must be an awful lot of cutscenes from this movie because you're... you're you're, you're, you wonder kind of what, what has happened to a lot of these Inglorious Bastards. Like, what's happened to Sam Levine 
and Paul Roth's characters. Where are they? Yeah. Um, and uh, BJ Novak is BJ captured Novak is captured. Where? Where? Why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, were, how? Like, what one, were they doing? Yeah. Were while, the rest while, of the characters while, killed? Yeah. yeah. While while Brad Pitt and um, Eli Roth were infiltrating. Um, say they Premier. improvised some gold. <laughs> it's like just, <laughs> you just cut. Yeah, I would imagine the producers or the studio at some point were like, who are these people who are in all of these scenes? Can we just get rid of them and, and have it focus almost entirely on the ones that Brad Pitt... <laughs> this scene doesn't feature Brad yeah. Pitt. We need a cut. Yeah, it's like um, if, um, if, uh, if, if, if somebody acts in a scene and there's no Brad Pitt in that scene, has Does, it ever... It wasn't even filmed. Did it even ever happen? Yeah. yeah. These are the questions. I mean, it's interesting because Tarantino's talked about expanding, I'd say, Django Unchained into a, into a television miniseries. I think that there is probably enough material with uh, Inglorious Bastards that you could do that. I would actually love to see a Tarantino. Saturday morning animated. Well, in fairness, Brad Pitt, like, you can actually, you can imagine Brad Pitt as a Hanna-Barbera Carver character based <laughs> on his performance with, like, with the square jaw and the squinty eyes. And it's it's no more, it's it's no better than, than in his silent uh, performance. Uh, where he's he's he's being asked his name and um, he's like Arif Darchi. See, error, correct. Yeah, and he just has this perpetual frown on his face. It's like, uh, and he he's kind well, of Landis like. While Landis interrogating the greatest yeah, detective, like, <laughs> Germany's greatest detective. Brad Pitt's uh, character is is well outside of his comfort zone, and he's like. I wish we could stop talking. <laughs> I could just shoot you, or knife you, or scalp you. Yeah, and and it is, and it's it's like it's great because you know Landa knows that they're not who they are, and Landa is only going through this giant pantomime for his own perverse there, amusement. There are moments in it where he's also smiling, which I think is a bit of a break. Which which one? Uh, uh, Aldo right, Reigns. Where, where, no, where yeah, where Aldo okay. Reigns is is is is. is is smiling and I think like how how can you not smile with with, with, with Christoph Waltz's performance where yeah. he's just like kind of um, delighted in, in in in his kind of like oh and you're Italian and, and uh, let me seek into <laughs> Italian and make yeah. a gigantic speech which I know because I recognize who you are you do not understand um, and then the bit where oh yes am I pronouncing it correctly yeah yeah yeah <laughs> where he's Jojo <laughs> <laughs> but it Coco but it is and then um, What's kind of interesting about this is like so, Landa has at this point, yeah, he's. It's suggested the Allies have made their landing uh, in Normandy, right? Yeah, he knows the game is up. He's planning to defect already. Yeah, so he recognizes the bastards. He sees an opportunity, but he still takes the time to murder Frau von Hammerstein. Yeah, which is is interesting. Strangles her with, with yeah, it's... with Tarantino's own hands. Yeah. Well, we're talking about problematic directors because yeah, I mean, we talked about Luc Besson and then we talked about Woody Allen, this, and now we now we hit sort of Alfred Hitchcock, Tarantino. This territory. is something that I foreshadowed a little earlier when I said that um, Tarantino was worried that that he had written an unplayable part when he wrote Hans Landa because how could somebody possibly speak such good French, <laughs> such good English, such good, such good German, and such yes, such good Italian. And, and also, yeah, yeah, is is is Hans Landa going to have to choke? A... <laughs> <laughs> is he going to have to choke, a Andrew? 
<laughs> yes, yes, he is. Yeah, is is is Hans Lander gonna gonna have to choke a Diane Kruger? Yes, um, yes, I think yes, yes, yes, yes, he is. But um, so it was a an, an unplayable part. But um, Quentin Tarantino had obviously thought of this and and said, you know what, Christoph Waltz. I it's don't want okay you to have to worry. You might have if, trouble choking. If, if if you don't want to choke Diane Kruger, a lot of people would have a problem with that. Some would say it would be normal to not want to choke a woman. I'll do it. <laughs> and when when when you see it, you're like, oh God, this is really not holding back. Yeah. I, I wonder how, how much of that is, is Diane Kruger's performance and how much of that is, I, I found it upsetting. Yeah. This was like a. a I, know, like, I like I, the fact you sat I know, through people I know, scalping. I know we're and laughing, like, but but it, it's it's it's it is it's incredibly visceral. It's horrible. Well, it's a very Hitchcock. It's very Hitchcock. Hitchcock had this recurring fascination with strangulation and breathing and stuff to the point where he would joke uh, and he would tell stories about choking actresses at dinner parties and stuff like that. So yeah, we we we know we know that we know. Far too much uh, about about uh, what happens behind closed doors in, <laughs> involving in the, great directors involving Tarantino. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. His his. Uh, it, it is like with the with her thrashing legs and the close up on her face, and even like Atlanta sort of stooped over her. It is it is an incredible. It's perhaps the most uncomfortable sequence in the film, which is remarkable for a film that features like scalping and yeah. features sort of like cracking people's skulls open and like burning people alive and machine gunning crowds yeah that that, that, that, that was certainly yeah and I, you, get, I, you do get another juxtaposition of that later when they're they're carving the the nazi sort of the swastika into um land of skull in that it's shot in in very much the same sort of way almost mm. with the thrashing of the legs with the guy sitting over so there's a sense of that poetic justice almost to it the um lovely touch as well where um when you say lovely touch, are you? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm onto something else. Uh, okay. Where, where, are, are something I found was fun. Um, because there are the this, this is a fun and a funny, uh, movie in, in, in, in, in a lot of its parts. Yeah. Well, there's the, a bit where he tries to arrest. Uh, he tries to arrest Aldo Reigns, and it's like something out of a, like a fifties cartoon. Oh where yeah, he just where, gets sort of where, jumped yeah, by like yeah. ten Nazis from ten different directions. Exactly. Yeah, he says uh, the the one in the white. Um, yes, the, the one in the white, white tuxedo, yeah. and all of a sudden, a boof! Yeah, it's just like these two <laughs> linebackers just kind of bam, <laughs> um, and and but then he he has a a, a shroud over um, sort of over over his head, and he's like, uh, it's like this kind of Bond villain thing. Or he's like, well, well, well. And then he pokes him in the face. And he says, Major Flinch. (laughs) Major Flinch, to which... (laughs) Aldo Reigns responds. (laughs) Headbutt. This fantastic headbutt. And it's like, ah, yes! Because it cuts through all of this, because like we um, we're so conditioned to expect. Yeah, it's the two. It's the two kind of uh, big sort of. uh, Well, no, actually, they aren't. uh, I would. I would argue that that Shoshana is a bigger character than than than Reigns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it's um, it's cutting through this this mystique of of of Landa. Two equal villains. Yeah, so yeah. Sorry, the villain and the hero who respect each other and, and yeah, and they they do that further as well with the the the the, the final scene of the movie, which you mentioned, where where where it, they're carving the the swastika into a skull in great detail. Yeah. 
Which is, is interesting, actually. Funny you should mention the Bond villain thing, because obviously Christoph Waltz goes on to play oh, a Bond yeah. villain. Did you notice the short appearance from Lea Cedrou in the uh, in the opening scene? She plays the daughter of Charlotte. So it's the I scene. Yeah, oh, it's a mini sp- I recognize her now. I, I, like, I was looking at her and thinking... She's from something. She's yeah. a familiar face. So yeah, it's it's a Spectre pre-union, if you will. Yeah. I also like the fact that he wants property on Nantucket Island, which is a very specific re- uh, <laughs> a very specific reference. There once was a Nazi from Nantucket. Yeah. Well, he, they actually found a, the remains of a craft shoe boat off Nantucket as well, so apparently that's how close the Nazis got to the mainland. Oh, I so can believe it. I don't know if that's what Tarantino was referencing, but it's quite a nice little, uh, nice little touch. Yeah. No, uh, Nazis uh, in Nantucket. Yeah. I mean, they're all over the Atlantic, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the, the shipping routes weren't... There's... An, the, Christoph Waltz is so much fun with this movie. Um, he, <laughs> um, and it's infectious. It um, is. He's, he's in the... He's, he's negotiating his terms of surrender, or preparing to negotiate his terms of surrender. And it's like, there must be a general who's, who's, who's in charge of, of this. And, and then he I'm makes a... the OSS. He makes a guess, yeah. And he's like, ah... Ooh, that's a bingo. That is how you say it. <laughs> that is how you say it, isn't it? <laughs> we just say bingo. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, ooh, that's a bingo. It's like, I can already see myself on Nantucket Island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, see how, my, how, how we're so alike. And we're bonding. It's you, like affable. You, you, you, the man of very few words, and, and me, the like horrifically camp, like, Kind of uh, animated, uh, yeah. It's um, but yeah, that, that we we we couldn't step over that without mentioning it, it. Yeah, it is a shame that he didn't get to do more of that in, when he was Inspector. Actually, I yeah. would say. So both of us have done more mincing. No. <laughs> so um, yeah, we, I'll, I'll I'll I'll I'll let you um, re- re- remind us what the what the la- last words of the movie were. These are the last words that appear that are mentioned on screen before the words written and directed by Quentin Tarantino appear, and they are, I think that might just be my masterpiece. Yeah. So like, uh, just in case you you you don't get what Tarantino is going for here. Yeah. Written and directed by Tarantino. I am the bomb. <laughs> yeah. um, don't this worry, is... they will respect me in France. Yeah. I'm going to host the Cannes jury this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care that you haven't given me a Best Picture or a Best Director Oscar yet. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you, can, you can take your Best Screenplay Oscars and just shove it. So in that case, then, I think what we might do is, because we're running a bit late, is we might just skip ahead and pick the film for next week. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we, we, we... We'll bypass the in-and-out chart this week, I think, for the... All right, so now we're going to pick uh, next week's movie. Now, there's a bit of a kink in the, in the mix here. Andrew, would you like to explain that? Yeah, we we we've decided to uh, to treat you with uh, the the the the bottom uh, one hundred. We're gonna the, mix them in. Yeah, yeah. These are movies that you might find in in a scrap heap or a toilet, or buried in a dump in Mexico. Yeah, much like the ET video game on Atari. So I'm just gonna pick a number randomly between minus one hundred and two hundred and fifty. It's going to yeah. Well, uh, for for for the listeners, we have a, a random number generator. A, a, a yeah, which which is. Um, which is a, a, a steampunk um, globe uh, filled with balls um, yeah. that, that, that, that we and, and there's Velcro involved. Uh, it's, it's quite it's, a complicated it's, mechanism. It's, it's, it's really something to, to, to behold. Yeah. Andrew, would you do the honors? A number I'll just, between I'll just minus crank, 100. Crank it now. 
crank it up a notch. Minus 100 and 250, and we have landed on... Please. Minus 18. Oh, so let's... God. <laughs> well done, Andrew. <laughs> this is on you. So we've landed on minus 18, which is... What is what is the 18th worst movie of all time, Andrew? Kellogland versus the Black Prince. This... The, um... Okay, what, what are Kilogan we... fights the Black Prince to serve justice. This might be a Turkish movie. Oh, it might I, be. I, I have a feeling um, it from, is from, from the names that it's coming from Turkey. Okay. okay. It is. It's a Turkish film. It was released in 2006. I have Turkey has a fair amount of movies, don't they? They do. I have no idea what this film is, so uh, we may not... <laughs> That's a terrible blurb. If, if you're a fan of Kilogan... Or and justice. Our, our, our, our fan of justice. Or if you just can't stand the Black Prince, then then you're going to probably still not enjoy <laughs> Callaghan uh, versus the Black Prince. Let's take uh, a look at the trailer. Made in 2006. Let's take a look at the trailer, Andrew. If bugüne kadar masallarla uyuduysanız, büyüdüyseniz, tıpış tıpış yürüdüyseniz, Bütün o masalları unutun. 6 Ocak'ta. Gel oğlum. Yeni görevin acımasız David Berin'deki kemeri kapıp bana getirmek. Ne? Kemeri getir kızı al. Bir masa. Benden duymuş olma ama kele olan senin için şöyle böyle değil. Yediden yetmişe. Artık masallarda iyiler değil. Kötüler kazanacak. Ama hiçbir masalda kötülük kazanmaz ki. İksirin etkisi geçip kız kendi kendine uyanmadan git öpüşüyor. Ağız kokusu için. Aşkım. Kız aşık olduğu adamın yanından hiç ayrılmamak için erkek kuluna gidiyor. Ne çok seviyor kız ne yapsın? Ay! Oh! Ay! Oh! Oh! <gülüyor> Açılın. İzal! İzal! Bir dakika canım bir dakika. Mutluluğum. Kere olayım. <gülüyor> Bizi evlenince. Her akşam ben sana kaval çalarım biliyor musun? <gülüyor> Maceranın... Biri bana parayla mı verdiler lan? Her maceranda ayağıma dolanıyorsun. Eşderhanın... Eşiğin... Kuzunun... Kurbanın... Kurban! Kurban! <gülüyor> ne olduğunu gösterecek. Kara Prens'e karşı. Bu koyunun suyu içiliyor mu bacım? Bacım! Bacım! Anne! So! Oh my god! Oh! Like, um, okay, okay, so that, that won't have made sense for... Anybody guess, listening uh, who, who, who, who doesn't have a fair grasp of Turkish. Um, I imagine even if you do, there's a lot of that yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it would seem like all over the place, but but maybe maybe it would potentially make more sense to, uh, a, speaker? to a Turkish speaker. But we yeah, didn't have subtitles. There's a lot of sort trailer. of Game of Thrones looking stuff with like dragons. Um, Terrible and, CGI dragons. Yeah. And there's jokes about the, about the Ring trilogy. And yeah. It, it looks... It, it, it, it has like bit, an Ernest Goes to Camp feel. 
feel. And what it what it what it reminded me of was was one of those movies where it's like um, not not another um, teen wedding. Yeah, yeah, where where wedding. where they'll do like a send up of. But the, the send up is funny. The, se- the send up is basically that bit you remember from the film, and that's funny, right? Yeah, yeah. They, what, so what, well what done, Andrew. This? Well what? done. What? Thank you for introducing the bottom one hundred movies into the countdown again. All right. The, yeah. The the. the I, I guess like you're you're you're going to be getting different um, uh, things from from um, we're, from this podcast from from from from, from, from the podcast where we talk about the worst movies. Part part of the satisfaction for the listener might be in never in, watching the movie at all. Yeah, yeah, but also kind of um, if if you can enjoy. Um, the pain of of other people who who have for some um through their own choice Andrew. true yeah this is the the there's no getting around this no this it, is on you yeah the, the, this is this is the very thing that i said i i didn't like was was people making bad choices <laughs> leading to terrible <laughs> things happening uh where it was entirely avoidable yeah um okay so, so yeah we we um We'll we, deal with that next week. Yeah, we we we we may forego um, six degrees of separation <laughs> from from from uh, trying uh, to connect. From, yeah, yeah from, uh, <laughs> trying to connect. I can't even remember Inglorious Bastards through to uh, was it Keegan versus the Black Prince or Kaloglan versus the Black Prince? Excuse me, Kaloglan. Thank you. All right. You can hit uh, if you object to any of the contents of this week's podcast. You can hit me up on Twitter at Darren underscore Mooney. You can also get Andrew at A Q U I N N I U Q A. Whether you want to come at us from the left, come at us from the right. It's a good call either way. Pincer movement. Yeah. If if you're any of my followers on Twitter, um, no, I I won't look at your cams. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I, I I don't believe you're a real person. All right. Take it easy, guys. See you next week.